Hello there. Welcome to episode number 36 of True Cult Pop. It's a podcast about music. You know that by now. You know who I am. It's me, Stephen Hill. I hope you're very, very well. And this week on the show, joining me to speak about new Foo Fighters and to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the Download Festival by fantasy booking our own version of the original iteration of the Download Festival. You've heard the name. You've read the words, but for the first time, let me introduce the dulcet tones, the beautiful voice of my very good friend, Mr. Rich Hobson of Metal Hammer Magazine. How you doing, Rich? May God have mercy on your souls. <laughs> you are happy. Well, mate. How are you? I'm great, mate. I'm very, very good. Lovely to have you on the show for the first time, taking your podcast cherry in a lot of ways, I believe. Yes. Uh, first time listener. No. Oh, how how very dare you? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I know what you're going to say. Long time listener, slightly long time listener. Is that fair? Say long time listener. I've been like listening to like... TNM days. Oh, steady. Oh, no, we'll get sued if we. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, Rich, you're going to download this weekend. You're looking forward to it. We had a little chat about the weather. Of course we did before we got started. But um, you're looking forward to download this week? Mate, I am absolutely buzzing for download this week. I'm probably one of the only people who I know who is genuinely excited every year about it. Like, I don't give a shit. Rain, shine, hail, thunderstorms, I am smiling. Right, you're a bloody better man than me in that case. Um, Who is on your hit list to watch for this weekend? I mean, the thing is, as this goes out, you'll all be there, but maybe you'll be in your tents. Maybe you'll be, uh, you know, getting up a little bit later. Maybe you want something to listen to. Maybe you'll be traveling for the day. I don't know. But if you are listening to this, Rich, tell the people to go and see, because they've heard my fucking grumblings about it. So I'd rather have a little bit of positivity. I mean, Christ, mate, there's there's quite a few, really. I mean, a lot of them are bands that I've covered over the last 12 months for Hammer. But I mean, you know, uh, within temptation of bringing one of the best shows, you're likely to see this side of Iron Maiden. And I'm saying that with the full, you know, uh, implicit uh, sort of level of expectation. Honestly, it's fucking spectacular. Really? Yeah, genuinely blew my mind when I saw them last year because they were supporting, well... Evanescence. Lining with Evanescence, yeah, co-headlining, which, you know, Evanescence have got the bangers in terms of the sing-alongs, but within mm-hmm. Temptation were the ones that I walked away just going, fuck me, that band could headline a festival, and you'd think, yeah, fair play. Well, I mean, okay. Yeah, I mean, Ghost are going to be fantastic. I mean, there's yeah, no, I like absolutely no, <laughs> no, yeah. uh, no denying that. Uh it's a lot of the old reliables, really. I mean, you know, Skin Dread is one that I am so fucking happy to see on the lineup this year. Honestly, to the, say the, like the rare opportunity to see Skin Dread at a festival, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's essentially so. It's like yes, they do play pretty much every year, but it's like it's like a fucking sausage sandwich, mate. Like, you know, you might complain about it every now and again, but you're not going to pass one up, are you? Absolutely not, mate. That is a great analogy, and I tell you what, I can back this up, and I've I have never passed up the opportunity to see Skindred whenever they've played and remembering how great they were at the download pilot and I believe you and I were stood next to each other and I think we looked and went this is exactly the same as every single time I've ever seen this band and yet and yet it still feels fucking brilliant so yeah it's a great addition 
inevitably they pull one of the biggest crowds of the weekend. I mean, especially when we were at that pilot event, they did pull the best crowd of the weekend. And then you kind of look around and you think, this is a sellout year for download. This is a year where, what, 120, 160,000 people are going to be gathered in a field. And just imagine the vibe when Skindred come out and just do their shit. They do what they do. And this is a band as well that over the last 12 months have been in arenas twice because they've been supporting Kiss. They were supporting um, Volby earlier in, well, the end of last year. So, you know, they've been playing the big rooms that they kind of deserve to be at anyway. And I'm just like, yeah, fair play. This is a really good moment to go and see Skindred. Plus a bit of a sneaky one, but the new album's fucking brilliant as well. Oh, hello. How come you've heard that before me? That is absolutely scandalous. Anyway, um, anyway, anyway, good to have you, Rich, and we'll be talking more download stuff in a little bit. Before we get on to what we're going to be talking about properly on the show this week, uh, I'm going to point you in the direction of our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash true cult pop is where you can sign up for all of the exclusive content that we do over there. This coming week, you won't know this because I haven't put any of this on social media, but this coming week, lovely Gaz Jones from Track One Side One Podcast is pulling a, a double shift for us, Rich. That is pulling a double shift. Uh, if you sign up for any amount, you can listen to a suggestion that was made a long time ago, and I promised a suggestion, and then things got on a bit haywire, and I forgot about it, and we sort of kept saying we're going to do it. Gaz has come on board. We are definitely going to be putting out a podcast on Pieces of a Man by Gil Scott Heron, an album which I wasn't that familiar with. I don't know if you know much about Gil Scott Heron at all, Rich? No, not much. The, the very, very basics. So, you know. Yeah. He's the revolution will be televised guy, right? Yeah. That's the guy. That's the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. And um, I'd never heard that record before. Uh, Gaz is a big fan of it, a big fan of Gil Scott Heron in general. So we haven't actually recorded that yet, but that's happening. And it'll be out on Saturday or tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, the day that it comes out. And um, yeah, I'm going to save that for there. Um, because like I say, Gaz is pulling a double. If you sign up for £5 a month, you get two extra massive podcasts the uh, beginner's guide or a classic album it's classic album time coming up this week and again i said to gaz i was like anything you fancy doing do you want to do a classic album with us and i think you might be pretty happy about this one rich because gaz said there's it's never going to be picked if i don't pick it so he's picked hysteria by Def leopard okay interesting (laughs) yeah i'm quite interested to get your take on on uh, hysteria of all things well you know what the thing about Def Leppard is they're a bit of a sort of, they're a bit of a meme. They're a bit of a sort of joke and it's not the sort of thing that I usually listen to. But I've got to say, the greatest hits of Def Leppard and Hysteria essentially is like a distilled version of the greatest hits of Def Leppard. They've got some fucking bangers, Def Leppard. They've got some bangers. I thought you were going to go full Alan Partridge then and be like, you know, I'd have to say the greatest hits of Def Leppard. <laughs> the best of Def Leppard. I mean, to be fair, I probably would. I'm not going to pick Slang or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's my favourite Def Leppard album. But I, I I, think that record is unbelievable how big that record is. It's so, so big, both in terms of how it sounds and the, like, the success that they got from it is, is crazy. So, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty excited about getting into that 
Yeah, I mean, they're seen as a bit of a fuddy-duddy band these days, which with good reason, because they have embraced that in its entirety. But, mm. as you say, the second they play a show, you know, everyone's singing along, and sometimes that's all you need. You know, there, there are other festivals that I could uh, point to where, you know, I've had a lovely time and there's been some good bands on the bill, but there's literally no sing-alongs, and you kind of come away thinking, well, what was that for? Who was that? Yeah. Yeah, and that's it. Like, Def Leppard have got big, big sing-along tunes. So, um, yeah, look, you know, I'm not diving in... I'm not I'm not diving in headfirst into, like, hooray, yes, what an album. Def Leppard hysteria. But we'll see, won't we? We'll see how we get on. It's got weird to do the darkness and Def Leppard kind of back-to-back in the classic albums because one I love and one I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't really think about them that much. But, you know, we shall see. So, anyway, like I say, go over to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and you can sign up and listen to all of that, plus lots and lots and lots and lots of other things as well. Um, we usually talk about a song which is stuck in our head. Um, and Rich, I asked you to bring a song in, and you brought in something which I have never even heard of before. Uh, I, I had no idea what this was. You just sent it to me, and I went, okay. And I listened to it. Well, I'll let you. I'll let you reveal what it is, and and, and kind of tell me like uh, what this is and why it's in your head. So the song is "Be a Jerk" by the band Boy Girl Pie, and the funny thing is, is if you hadn't asked me to actually pick the song, I couldn't have told you anything about them because I literally have only ever had that song on my MP3 player for. I'm going to say about a decade now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, like, it's just a fucking blast of sunshine, isn't it? I mean, it's pure indie pop from the the sort of early 2010s, I think it was, like 2012 or something. 2012, the album is called Dear Dear that it's taken from, apparently. I don't know anything else about, about them other than that. That's all I know. Yeah, I sort of had a little look into them afterwards because back in the day, back in the torrenting days, there used to be a monthly little roundup that was like the thousand best indie songs. And even though it was generally full of fucking shit, there was the occasional one that I'd put on and think, this is fucking great. So I literally used to sit and go through a thousand indie songs probably every couple of weeks. And that was one of them that popped up. So it's been on my MP3 forever. And I was driving along a couple of weeks back and it came and I was like, fuck, I've forgotten how brilliant the song is. And I mean, there's, there's just something infectious about it. It's got this kind of just brilliant kernel of happiness that's just great in the uh sunny weather so yeah it's really i, I really really like this this is a bass throbby catchy as fuck little lo-fi indie rock sort of dance rock banger it's sort of and I, I don't know if you agree with me on this it sort of reminds me of like if the ting tings were more like the fall do you know what i mean <laughs> What a description. Um, yeah, he was he was a bit mad looking into it, really. I mean, I don't, I don't want to cast aspersions, but there's certain bands like Deerhoof and um, Shown and Knife and stuff who, whenever they go into like a full pop sensibility, they seem to, like, like, it's basically bands that have come kind of from Japanese music and when they approach pop, they approach it in this really direct, unsubtle, we're just going to go for it way. And it looks like, looking at the member list, that's exactly what Boy Girl Party are, basically. It's a musician who obviously has kind of approached it from this direction of like, well, we're just going to make this pop song, it's going to be great. Yeah, it's got a spiteful little lyric about it as well. Like, if something, something, what is it she says at one point about, so, so I guess I just have to be a cunt or something. I don't know. What's that? She's like, yeah, if I have to be a cunt to get what I really want, then uh, maybe I won't. Yeah, 
yeah it's really cool this really really cool i knew nothing about them um i did go and have a look on spotify to see if they you know if i was an idiot and they were somebody who was really massive and i wasn't aware but apparently they've got 252 monthly listeners on spotify and it looks like they i put the dear dear ep out and they've got one other single from 2014 and that that's yeah. it just gone yeah uh, as i say like it was just obviously it's kind of towards the end i suppose of landfill indie so there's a lot of bands that are popping up and collapsing really quickly but it's a real shame when i kind of found that out i was a bit like ah oh. Like, you kind of hoped that a band like that would have found a niche, but I guess clearly not. No, clearly not. I mean, like, I don't know enough about them or anything else that they ever did to even sort of suggest that they might have had any kind of uh, future at all. And looking again at the kind of the amount of plays that they've had sort of per... I mean, this is comfortably their most popular song. It's had 74,023 plays. Don't know how many of them are you. Um, but their second biggest song is a song called Cat, which has 8,250 plays. So who knows where... Because Beer Jerky, that's quite, it's quite a jump, you know. It's not a, it's not a massive jump, but it's like... It's, it's definitely their most famous song by a fucking pretty, pretty big number. I mean, Engage, their 2014 song, it doesn't even appear to have been listened to at all that's like their sixth biggest song there are no stats for it at all on spotify so this is a very very small you've reached right back into the deepest darkest recesses of like early 2010s random music and picked out something that is actually very very good but also completely i guess irrelevant (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now to us in 2023 which i rate i don't think i've ever heard a, a better and more accurate summation of my uh my career aspirations to be quite honest <laughs> <laughs> oh mate no i i know you've heard the new skin Dread album you don't have to fucking you don't have to fucking pretend like you're not a big deal rich you certainly are um <laughs> so it's measured in the business these days it's not who gets on the private jets with uh acdc and i made and it's who's heard the new skindred album mate that is the yeah that is the state of the music industry in 2023 ladies and gentlemen um with obviously with no shade to skindred whatsoever uh but yeah be a jerk by boy girl party let's see if we can get it up to a hundred thousand listens on spotify because I'm definitely going to listen to that again. Because I think it's wicked. Um, yeah, it, it's dead good. And I think it, when there's some things you look at are massive, as we'll talk about in a minute, I'm just like, what? Uh, and this is dead good. Um, so there you go. Go and listen to it. Boy, go party, be a jerk. Um, I have picked, so I randomly, thinking about, and we'll talk about Sleep Token in a minute. And I've been thinking about Sleep Token a lot this week because of various things that I have said about them in the last week. And weirdly i listened to the song the cure by dead letter circus and a lot of of the majority of their album the catalyst fire which is their second album which came out in 2013 they're a kind of australian tech metal band i think they're still around at the at the moment i think they still do stuff but really i kind of don't know what the the dead letter circus are doing now i don't really know what happened to them i don't know where they are but i really really like that album back in the day and I just think that like there were a lot of bands sort of 10 years ago 
who were definitely trying to meld that sort of mopey pop music with techie guitars and they were one of them and i personally think the riff on this is so like intricate and widdly great the chorus and the sort of the the vocal hooks are massive i'm not gonna sit here and be like oh dead letter circus they're so underrated and you know they should have been massive and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff but this is a fucking banger and i don't know why it didn't seem to connect with people over here as much because in australia it's got to number two on the australian album charts this 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 album and they seem like they're a big deal in australia i saw them live back back in the day at the underworld they played the underworld they're really good singers really really good um do you remember this band at all I'd heard the name. I didn't realise they were that big. But I suppose, again, Australia has this mad, really connected scene for that kind of stuff out there. So you've got your deathcore, your tech metal, your sort of metalcore, all of that stuff has got such a tight-knit little community that just really bands together and uh, goes free out there. So I guess sort of makes sense. I don't know. I think where you and I differ massively is you're there like, oh, it's widdly and great, and I'm there like, it's widdly and fucking awful. <laughs> do you not like it no no i just yeah i struggle with a lot of this techie stuff i just if it's a riff that sounds like a printer jamming i get really pissed off really fast maybe it's just too much ptsd from the fucking 90s you know just like <laughs> the number of times i'll be there trying to print something and just be like oh fucking that noise yeah i mean the the riff is like um but i I quite like that. I mean, it was this sort of reminds me of like the first time I remember thinking, oh, these bands are trying to write choruses because, you know, normally we year four or Troy or Sixth or whatever. I mean, to be fair, Sixth did have quite a lot of big hooks and Dillinger were doing big hooks with that kind of widdly stuff too. But this all feels, felt, felt a bit more, I don't know, yeah, connected to actual pop music, which I thought was really cool. And I think it's an oddly, it's not, it's not particularly challenging this. I just think he's got a really good voice and that chorus is great, and yet it still has a bit of like that weird um, techie feel to it. Are you not into the sort of tech festy, tech metal scene at all? You're not. I, I I forgot this about you. Yeah, not in the slightest, really. There's the occasional bit that, like, I tell you what, I've been blasting lately is the new. Is it Periphery? I always mix them up with mm-hmm. fucking Polyphia. I think it's the one that released Gent is not a genre. That is a brilliant album. That has got the the Dillinger black bubblegum kind of oh we've got this really weird off-kilter riff but then we're going to just chuck this massive anthemic chorus on top of it and you just combining these two very very ill-fitting but brilliant together elements and yeah i really really love that it's all right did you just drop your coffee no i just dropped the mic all oh, right okay don't worry about that mate that's fine well i say don't worry about it let's hope it's still working not obviously um mate you know i don't edit anything out so, <laughs> so... <laughs> just smash my uh smash my laptop basically oh okay um is it is it working yeah it seems to be oh it's good working all right we'll continue um oh mate i can hear you yeah mate that fucking periphery album's great I mean, they have been releasing really good music for a while, um, Periphery. I mean, I, I again, you know, I had a little moment. See, I guess going back to 2013, I kind of, I, I don't even know when I say I really like the Catalyst Fire, the album. I'm looking at the track listing now and actually I probably look up, I probably 
I get to about track five. I'm like, oh yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So the first track, the cure, I really like. Alone Awake is great. Burning Man's good. Lodestar's good. I Am. I used to play I Am on the radio back in the day. And I was like, this is a really good song. I think that's the first time I saw them. When you get to the second half of the album, I don't really remember that much about it. So maybe there's maybe there's quite a kind of finite amount that I can handle as well. But I am, you know, th- these are these are good melodies. And if I, if you are one of those people who likes that kind of techie stuff, and if you are sitting there going, I can't believe a band of mixing gent riffs and sort of pop melodies. This is the maddest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, trust me, it, it, it's been going on for some time now with varying degrees of success. For me, The Cure is a proper banger. But then, you know, for the glass half empty uh, opinion on that, you know, go, go to Rich. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's like the worst thing in the universe. I mean, there are some songs that you put on and you go, you haven't written a riff, have you? You've got a, like a chalkboard and you've done it like a fucking mathematical equation and kind of gone, oh, yeah, well, this bit has got to go to this. I mean, funnily enough, I was driving along yesterday as well, listening to Heck again and mm-hmm. one of the, the early Heck songs. And you kind of, when you go back to that band, like like it goes all wild and sort of all over the place with the riffs, but then... Matt will come in with a massive chorus and it just fits. It just goes. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's in that vein. It does work really well. But, yeah, nah, not not for me on the whole. That's fine, mate. Don't you worry about that. That is absolutely fine. I would just say, yes, uh, the Catalyst Fire is a decent record, pretty decent record. I think The Cure, the opening track, is brilliant. And Dead Letter Circus, they were pretty good back in the day. Um, let's move on. Talk about a little bits and bobs of news. So, you know, having had a chat... Well, I said I had a chat, I was speaking on my own last week about Sleep Token and my thoughts on the Sleep Token album. They went and sold out Wembley Arena in 10 minutes. Now, I said, oh, I think this will probably sell out at some point. 10 minutes is mad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the ascendancy of that band is unbelievable. I mean, again, obviously working online on the Hammer stuff, you see a lot of statistics for bands. Sleep Token sort of cover story that we did a few years back reliably had more hits than like Slipknot, Metallica, you name them. They weren't as as interested as what people are in Sleep Token right now. That's fucking crazy. That is crazy. Um, What are your thoughts on them as a band? You quite like them, don't you? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of them, mate. I think they're great. Um, they are the the exception to the rule with the whole techie thing. It's like when they do their they, – because they don't do the printer jam stuff. Like, it's technical, but it's not. It doesn't feel like someone's had to map it out. It feels like – it still feels very organic. It still feels like there's a person at the heart of it who's written a song and written how it fits together. And I just – yeah, I think – they, they've got a brilliant sense for what makes a good song. I mean, you know, I've, I know you've complained in the past on the podcast about, you know, the lack of, uh, I mean, pop sensibility is probably not the right thing to say for, for metal, but the lack of, like, hooks, basically. Like, the genuine sort of, like, you know. Yeah, I, I, can't, I, I couldn't sing you back a second of Sleep Taken music. I couldn't, give, I couldn't do a riff. I couldn't give you a hook. Not, not um, sexy bass drop in uh, in Chokehold. Well, that is probably my favourite thing they've ever done. But I don't actually know how it goes. I'm just like, oh, it sounds a bit like The weekend for a second. You know what I mean? For for 30 seconds or whatever. Um, so that's a bit of a problem for me. And also just the length of time. I think, again, you know, I said it last week. If you pop sensibilities and 
you know, seven and a half minute long songs feel quite at odds with each other. And I still don't know how you square that, to be honest. I'm sure we'll get onto this uh, with the album review shortly. But uh, yeah, you know, Probably. I, think, I think there's a place for it all, isn't it? And I think the thing is, is that Sleep Token is a band that is having their cake and in it too, in terms of these things. It's like they'll give you a little pop ditty, especially on the last album. They were quite straightforward. There wasn't really much metal, metal stuff. So it feels like this one, they've... They've combined a lot of the things that they've tried in the past. Like everything is an experiment towards what they're doing now. And then the next album, who knows where it'll go. So, I mean, that to me is, yeah, it's spectacular, really. How big is the ceiling for them, do you reckon? God. I mean, that's the question, isn't it? It depends on what direction they go in. I guess, you know, I can't see them being a slipknot. I don't think they've got the chaos to sustain it. I think... Slipknot, at a certain point, the mystique is going to wear thin. And then at that point, it's like, well, there's nothing new that anyone can contribute. I mean, even now, when we when you see, you know, Hammer got in on the ground floor, it was quite, you know, Eleanor really loves them, who obviously is the editor of uh, Metal Hammer and our boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, she really loves Sleep Token. And so she pushed for them when we do the new covers at the start of each new year. We take four bands who haven't had a cover before and give them one. Sleep Token were one of those. And that was because she was basically like, look, there's something special happening with this band. And this is when they were, you know, they were selling out, um, it was Islington Academy, you know. So that, that's a significant jump, like Islington Academy, Wembley. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's two it. years. Two years. That's um, more than 10 times the size, Wembley. Of... I'm going to say, yeah, it's got to be, what, about 1,200 tickets for Islington and 10,000 for for Wembley. Yeah. That yeah. is a little bit of growth that they've seen. But at the same time, we did that story, and it was a cover story that they sent me out to do. It was brilliant. Got to go and watch them in Birmingham, went to see them in London, spoke to the fans, dug into, like, you know, the the Reddit groups that kind of come up with all these hypotheses about what the songs are about and what's going on in the background. And then since then, I think, you know, uh, the NME have done the exact same kind of feature. Rolling Stone, I think, had a, had a crack at the same kind of feature. Pretty sure Kerrang had a crack at the same kind of feature. So at some point, it's like, well, where do you go now? I mean, it's the same thing that we're now having to sort of go, well, what do you do after that? Where do you mm. go? When there's not a story to dig into and there's not something to hook people to beyond the songs, it's like, well, you know, how do you, how do you maintain interest on a long-term basis because there's not a legend building around you know once you know that they wear masks there's not a legend that's going to be there in five years time but the thing is the thing is is that actually like i get what you're saying and i would probably think that too but we're in a very we got a very we live in a completely different world now don't we like in terms of how bands like that's kind of not their problem as long as they do keep connecting with people kind of organically through their music, they probably could turn around to everyone, to Rolling Stone, to Enemy, to Hammer, to Kerrang, and just be like, no, we don't need you. You don't need, I mean, that like, it, it's it, like, I, I'm not trying to do us out of a job here, Rich, but I'm, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But like, they, like, that. you know, it, it used to be very, very difficult for bands to do that. And I think it's much easier for bands to just be like, we don't actually need the press at all they might want it and i think like obviously we're both gonna say it adds value to you 
as a band i think you know getting the stories behind these things and giving people got you know like fuck what ed sheeran thinks like you know we're giving people important contextual weight to the music that they love right trying to maybe like help you understand it in a different way or whatever but they might go 10 minutes twelve thousand tickets in a couple you know we that's 10 that's a jump of 10 times like we don't fucking need you and that's a bit of a it's quite a scary thing for people like us i guess isn't it Yes and no, because obviously if they can sustain it and they can keep it going, all the more power to them. Because at the same time, it's just going to feed the appetite for us to try and find new and inventive ways. Because the thing is, is ultimately, as you well know, working in press, it's so hard sometimes to come up with an angle for a band who, like, you know, there's only so many times you can talk about, like, you know, uh, where a band has come from, mental health struggles, um what they're trying to do with the new album, tragedies, you know. I mean, it's it's the bread and butter of what sort of discourse around music is because you want to know the stories behind the songs. But sometimes there is no... Once you've done that, like, you know, you can't get to Slayer again in 2023. Obviously, you can't anyway, but you can't get to Slayer in 2023 and go like, oh, yeah, you know, what atrocities have, have inspired you this time? Because you're just going to get a fucking Wikipedia article back. That's not... It's not yeah. just an engaging story. But, yeah, yeah. I ceiling, I, I don't know. Um, it depends as well on where they get bumped, I guess. They're playing Reading, obviously, this year, so we'll see how that goes for them. I mean, the US tour is completely sold out. Mm. Uh, so, you know, if they can capitalise on that, then maybe they can be a slipknot or whatever. But I, I reckon, I don't know, maybe, maybe an idol's size. I reckon so. They're like you know, in in arenas, I reckon that they'll be at least as big as someone like fucking Blackstone Cherry in a decade. I think. <laughs> I mean that. Yeah, yeah that's that a really sad metric. But when you look at it, you go, "Well, what bands have made it into arenas and can consistently go back round into the arenas again?" You know, every other year or whatever. And it's like, well, Blackstone Cherry and Alter Bridge and kind of bands that people are less excited by. So maybe Sleep Token have their leg up on those bands as well. Yeah, I mean, mate, I'm just looking at the Reading lineup right now. Obviously, we spoke about the Reading lineup, me and Sam, a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't even really notice Sleep Token. And considering they sold out Wembley Arena, I was like going, oh, well, they're, on the main, they're not on the main stage. Or they're maybe on the main stage west. They're not on the main stage west either. I was like, oh, okay, they'll be on the dance tent or they'll be headlining. the. F they're, they're subbing Young Lean on the Festival Republic stage. Now, I wonder if... It's going to be interesting because I'm going to try and go to Reading because it's up near the road for me. So why, you know, why wouldn't I? But um, that's made me really want to see them. Um, that's made me want to see Sleep Token there just to see kind of if that stage will be absolutely. I mean, if that is like dangerously oversold or like packed or you know Foo Fighters '95 kind of packed, then I think you might look at it and go, mm, yeah. I think it's happening here but if they get the same sort of crowd as you know kenny hoopla and scowl or high vis or whatever then maybe it's just not get the latter there to be quite honest i mean i saw them when they did bloodstock so this was after i'd done the story and they headlined the sophie lancaster stage and it 
didn't quite translate, I don't think. I mean, I don't know if that was maybe as well because they've just done an album. The second album is a lot more sedate. As I say, it doesn't have those explosive moments. And so when you're playing Bloodstock, you need that to kind of maintain the energy. And I think they were on after Merciful Fate, which, again, big theatrical sort of setup. And I think people came yeah. out of curiosity, but they peeled away quite quickly as well because it was kind of like, oh, okay, this is what this band are doing next. So... Yeah. Reading, maybe not. It's a shame they're not at download, is the thing. If they were at download this year, they would be in a seriously good position right now. But obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty, And, you know, at the start of the year, literally, I don't think anyone, not no one in their camp could have predicted this. Because at the start of the year, they got, I think the exact statistic was 280,000 listeners on Spotify in January. And when they released that first single, obviously, now they're standing at, what, 2.7 million? uh i can check it for you right now if you'd like um sleep token are currently looking at two million six hundred fifty one thousand and seventy three monthly listeners yeah so yeah 2.6 million then so you know <laughs> that that again that level of growth is just unbelievable and i don't think any of them could have predicted it because we knew that they were you know they were bubbling under but no one expected it to turn to oh my god this band is named the big thing yeah mad yeah i'm gonna go and watch them at reading if i go to reading i mean i'll only be missing central sea or chase atlantic I'm good because they're supporting Slipknot in Germany in a few weeks. And I sort of looked into it because I was like, oh, man, that'd be fucking insane. Like, Sleep Token and Slipknot together, like, you know, March of the fucking Masked Bands. But, like, it'd be really interesting to see how people would respond to that. But hair uh, floats are not cheap. So, or they, they are, but they're not as cheap as I wanted them to be. Right, fair. Okay. Well, mate, it's certainly interesting. And um, in terms of other news, I mean, it looks like. Foo Fighters are going to be the secret band at Glastonbury, which we can kind of talk about in, in a minute, um, or we can talk about alongside the review, because I think we should talk about. Uh, but here we are, by the Foo Fighters, 11th studio album from the alt-rock megastars, the following up to their 2021 album, Midnight at Medicine. That was the last proper Foo Fighters album. I know they've done other things under various guises um, between this album and that, but I don't think you count those things. I think you count Medicine at Midnight as the last proper Foo Fighters thing. I didn't think, much like the last few albums they'd done before that, I didn't think Medicine at Midnight was a very good album. Rich? No, no it was not, unfortunately. Uh, Foo Fighters, I think, for the last, let's say decade, for the last decade of being in a holding pattern of, here's a few really great songs and here's an album where we're going to kind of, we're going to experiment and we're going to do all this weird stuff. As I recall from the press circuit at the time, kind of Dave Grohl's thing was like, oh, well, we wanted to do like a disco song and we wanted to do like an 80s song and blah, blah, blah. And you kind of go, yeah, okay, but it just seems like someone's just thrown a bunch of things at the wall and waiting to see if they stick. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, it, it's been feeling like Foo Fighters, like you say, were maybe mm, struggling to, to... The attempts to do something different with Foo Fighters for a band of their size, I do think actually, on reflection, when you go back to... Let's start with Sonic Highways. I mean, you can go back to Wasting Light, which was all recorded in their studio in tape, um, and, and you go, well, actually, that, that is quite different. But 
you know, that album's actually good. So let's leave that to one side for a second. Let's go with the last sort of few that they've put out. I mean, Sonic Highways, basically an advert for a TV show rather than an album. You know, the theory of going to different studios and writing a song about each kind of place and the, the, the musical landscape or whatever. It's a great idea, but none of it really worked out. And I think, you've, like you've kind of rightly said, a lot of ideas being chucked at the wall, very little kind of sticking um sort of smacks of of a band who are who still have a kind of modicum of creativity because it would be easy for them to turn into acdc although there's nothing wrong with that but like to just do the same thing over and over again but i think obviously in this instance this is their first album since taylor hawking passed away uh last year and taylor's passing is i i I think I wouldn't say I got excited about this record and it feels like quite a kind of I don't know maybe a slightly disrespectful maybe morbid thing to say like I was more interested in it because you know I was interested in what was going to come out in the wash with you know the, the situation but what I did think is that I thought I don't think Dave Grohl will risk making an album which he doesn't think reflects um how he feels about what has happened to him and his band over the last year i thought this would be an album that they would take way more seriously than they've taken the last few and i thought it would be it would probably hopefully fingers crossed you'd like to think it would be a better album for it um but rich before we get move on to the actual album itself you were at the taylor hawkins tribute concert last year um which i only saw clips of we've had a little chat about it before um tell the people how it was i mean mate it was the best gig i have ever and probably will ever go to in terms of just the scope of it and the sort of thing that you can read about like you know the freddie mercury tribute that happened 30 years prior at wembley you can look at like live aid and all these kind of things but that event was beyond anything that you could possibly imagine because it didn't feel like it was a celebration. I mean, we'll talk about the album in a bit and kind of my feelings on, on that because it's an interesting album to say it's an album fueled by grief. I mean, obviously, because, yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, but, yeah, the the Foo Fighters at Wembley Stadium, the second they came on, um, you know, there was just this huge rapturous applause and they walked on stage and they immediately started crying. And so, obviously, then everyone in the crowd is like, fuck, this is... This is tough. Like, it's a really tough and emotional show. And then you kind of start going through, you start looking at, at the bands that they were bringing out as guests. So you've got, like, members of Rush paying tribute to their sort of fallen um, sort of band members. You've got members of, obviously, like, you know, uh, fucking... Trying to think now of, of who was there. Noel Rogers was there, obviously doing some David Bowie stuff. So he literally did feel like, like, like basically, like everyone who's died over the last like twenty years. It was like, yeah, we're going to just pay tribute to literally every single one of them, and it's going to be this huge outpouring of emotion. At the end of it all, the Foo Fighters played a set that was just incendiary. And I mean, the thing is, just like you know, you could go, well, it's unfair to say it's the best gig of all time because, of course, it was because you've got, you know. Queen and David Bowie and and fucking bizarrely super grass. <laughs> a bit of a drop on the uh, on the Liam stack. Gallagher coming out right Liam Gallagher yeah yeah Liam Gallagher, Gallagher. Gallagher. Yeah, and literally opening with Live Forever 
And, you know, I mean, I, I, as I mentioned to you previously in, the, in our chats, I, I'm a massive ACDC fan and fucking Brian Johnson coming on to do Let There Be Rock with Lars Ulrich on drums. It was like, like my jaw just hit the ground and I'm like, holy shit. Like, again, because, I mean, like he must be coming up on a decade since he's played with ACDC because the Axel DC shows were, I think, what, 2016? So, yeah. yeah vaguely around that so literally when he came out i was like i cannot believe this is a thing that is happening but i mean as i say to then have the food fighters go on afterwards and play literally their hits with so much loaded emotion and so much just sort of power and things and it's something they've kind of employed really on the album which they they kind of go in with all these sing-alongs and stuff and then every now and again they'll just drop everything out and it's just Dave Grohl with a guitar standing on stage on his own completely like it's that that feeling of vulnerability and it just yeah it just completely takes you away because for a second you're not in a stadium with you know 60,000 people you're just in a room watching Dave Grohl just kind of strumming away on a guitar singing times like these and you're like fuck oh dear <laughs> like yeah. honestly the emotion it was like people were crying people were hugging it was like yeah you just you're not going to see the scenes like that again yeah i mean from the clips that i saw incredibly emotional you know taylor hawkins son um playing drums on times like these and dave really really struggling to to kind of keep it together uh, i was pretty pretty amazing um scenes and um yeah i would have loved i would have loved to seen it and obviously all of that kind of pent up emotion i mean we should also say dave Grohl's mother died um at the start of 2022 as well so that also goes into this and you know over the years of podcasting i have spoken about a lot of albums that are um thematically tied to grief you know some of my favorite albums uh, an album like holy hell by architects or even all our gods have abandoned us uh reverence by partway drive or stage four by touche and more we did a special on black style which isn't just about isn't about the grief of losing someone else it's about you kind of giving people something to grieve with um and it's become something which i don't know it 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 didn't i don't feel like out there used to be so much of this in music but it feels like a real kind of uh, the the kind of the the sad passing kind of grief album uh, it feels like it's become a kind of a bit of a staple in music you know and they're usually really really fucking powerful and i did sort of think to myself like how would a band like foo fighters managed to kind of stack up alongside albums with such gravitas as something like stage four or you know well there's a lot of other albums that we've spoken about that kind of deal with with these things um and um yeah i was sort of wondering how they would do that and to i think to their to my kind of shock and to their credit as a group and as a band they've i'm Undoubtedly released their best album since Wasting Light. Unquestionably. I don't think that's even up for debate. I think this album, you know, I really like Wasting Light. I mean, I'm not a, a massive fan of the stuff that sandwiches between the colour and the shape and Wasting Light either. And I would say this album is better than 
all of that as well. Um, this is one. This is this might be my joint third favorite Foo Fighters album. Mm, interesting. I haven't quite got to the stage of where I can definitively say where I place it on a Foo Fighters ranking list yet. I mean, obviously, I'm more of a Foo Fighters fan, I guess, than than you are. I mean, I, I do yeah. most of their albums. I think the last decade, as as we've said, not that great, but. I think what, what fascinates me with this album is you you just mentioned all these grief albums there and you're talking about like, you know, and all of those generally feel like someone has put put their fingers into a gaping wound and just opened it up a little bit and gone, just have a look inside. This is what this is. Foo Fighters grief album is like, right, this is the healing power of music. We're going to write these songs. We're going to kind of talk about this grief and we're gonna we're gonna communicate it to you. We're gonna give you all these lines. I mean, there's lines in there. It, nearly every song has got at least one line where you hear it and you just go, "Oh fucking hell, that's like heartbreaking." Like, there's a line in, I think it's the penultimate song where he's like, "You know, you taught me to breathe, but you didn't teach me how to say goodbye," which is clearly about his mom. And you just you, you just break a little bit every time you hear it because she's like, "Fuck, that's that's such a beautiful sentiment," but it doesn't feel like I don't feel like I'm listening to Dave Grohl wallowing in, in sort of misery i feel like he he's genuinely celebrating the life of his friend the life of his mom the music that they love because i mean like you know the, the the whole tribute thing that they did at wembley was supposed to have been sort of they they picked the bands that taylor loved and so you've got like you know members of queen popping up and sort of thing and then you listen to this album going oh, i can hear a little bit of queen in that oh i can hear a little bit of david berry in that and so on and so forth and i think that is it's an incredibly difficult but incredibly cathartic thing to have done to sort of go, well, we don't want to focus on, like, you know, the circumstances of his death or or the, the feeling of, like, having to rebuild from scratch again and the loss of your best friend and all this kind of stuff. It feels like he's literally gone, look, everybody's grieving, so we're going to give you this album that's going to help you through it and it's going to kind of give you that little ray of sunshine that will just pick you up at the end of it all. And I think that's just stunning. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's very defiant, this record. I mean, it comes in with a hell of a hook and a massive riff and the kind of stadium rock grit that Foo Fighters, to me, have lacked for at least a decade. I mean, it's like 15 years, really. I was 14, really, uh, with, with Rescued. So Rescued, I believe, was the first single then the first song that they released from it. I mean, and... In terms of the song itself, like it's not big and it's not clever, but it's unbelievably effective. And I think when I listen through to a lot of this, you know, like you say, the reference points for a lot of it is stuff like, I don't know, there's Queens of Stone Age, kind of modern Queens of Stone Age bits. There's Fleetwood Mac. There's Queen. There's, um, you know, kind of their own early stuff, which I really chime with, a kind of Colour in the Shape or the self-titled album stuff. There's bits of kind of Wasting Light on there. You know, bands like Sugar and, um, you know, kind of Latter-day Husker Do and Pixies and stuff like that are all in there. But they're all given this kind of... Foo, the, the Foo Fighters have a sort of sheen about them, which I think can be either very, very off-putting when the songwriting's not to scratch or can be brilliant when they're writing a song like, you know, Rope or Monkey Wrench or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's why I get so frustrated with, Foo, with, the, with the Foo Fighters because when they're good, I think, God, they're so good. They're so good at doing this kind of massively 
this brilliantly universal thing. There's a reason why they headline Glastonbury. There's a reason why you know they they play stadiums all over the world. Um, but they can also be so kind of dreary and middle of the road. Um, and it's really really frustrating when they're doing that because you go, well, I've I've heard you be great. I've heard you be fucking brilliant like where's that and it's not the same as like the red hot chili peppers where you go oh you've just lost the plot like you just you don't know what you're doing anymore i still think the foo fighters are always trying to at least just go you know we want to write some really really good rock songs for people and it means that when they swing and miss it's really frustrating but here i don't know i feel like they've got the balance of like you say grief and pathos and defiance and big tunes and all of the best little bits of the kind of influences of what they've done and they've put them all together and it's sure you know it's not long it's not a long record it's 10 tracks i mean there is a long song on it but most of it is just like you know here you go here's fucking 10 great tracks under you it's a brilliant single i mean when i first listened to it i wasn't that mad on it but those hooks they come creeping in that chorus keeps coming creeping in that you know someday i'll come out from under you out from under you that hook so catchy and it's, you know, it's, it's simple, but it's great. Like you said about the sausage sandwich earlier. Like, this is the biggest fucking sausage sandwich. But laced with, you know, pathos-flavoured crisps, you know? <laughs> you just dashed a bit of reggae, reggae sauce on just to uh, give you that yeah, little nice. bit. <laughs> yeah, I, like, it, it's good, this. Very good. I, I find it amazing as well, though, obviously. Uh, not even amazing, I suppose, but, like, very understandable that Dave Roll hasn't really done the press circuit yet. He's not he's not available for interview. They're not doing interviews for the album. And it's like, but you don't need to. I mean, this kind of goes against what we were saying earlier, but, like, there's no need to contextualise this album because Dave Grohl has written everything you need to hear. Like, he has given you the lines, he has given you... And, and, and knowing that context just from knowing the band, you kind of hear these little lines a bit, like, you know... like, like There's a line in one of the songs where he's talking about, like, sharing a cigarette... Mm. That's the memory I'm always going to have of you sharing a cigarette with a kid, and you go, "Oh yeah, brilliant!" Like the, the, these little bits of color and and personality where it doesn't feel like it's been written. A lot of radio rock feels like it's written to be lowest common denominator. So everyone can listen to it, and everyone knows what it feels like. Oh yeah, the first time that you have sex, brilliant. We'll write a song about that. We're going to do that. Who fighters aren't that band? And in this album, and I mean, like, the only comparison I can really make in their careers, I suppose, is the, the album In Your Honour felt, at the time when that came out, I remember the press were always kind of, like, digging into all the lyrics and they're going, oh, this one's about this and this one's about that. Like, there was kind of, I, I don't know if it was ever confirmed, but there was a song that was written about Courtney Love on there. There was a song that was clearly about his days in Nirvana on there. And there was this kind of sense of, like, because you knew that stuff, it gives those songs a lot more potency. And that's exactly how I feel about this album. Like... The second you put it on, you, you're being told a story. And I mean, like, there's not another album, I think, that we're going to hear for a long time where you're going to, everyone's going to know that story and going to hear that and hear those songs and think, yeah, that is intrinsically tied together. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, you, you're dead right about the kind of mainstream modern rock, which goes, oh, here are a bunch of universal themes. And weirdly, like, again, it's something I've said a load of times over the years is that, you know, if you don't, specifically stick to one universal thing that is just like oh this should appeal to everyone if you are very very specific it weirdly that specific that specific specificity i can never say that fucking word does chime with people more it actually does chime with people more you know i don't know 
the circumstances surrounding Jeremy from Touche and Moore's um, mother passing away. Um, I don't know, but but I listen to stage four and I go, oh, fuck, yeah, Like I feel like I'm in that room. I know that feeling. I don't know um, how uh, Phil Elverham felt when his wife passed away, but I listened to a crow look, looked at me and I go, yeah, you know, I've lost people in my, yeah, I, I know exactly how you feel. And those two albums are very, very different records to, to this record, like very, very different. Um, and I don't think Foo Fight, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be good for Foo Fighters career for them to try and make an album like that. It wouldn't be good for them as a band. I don't think it suits Dave Grohl as a, as a songwriter for him to even attempt to do something like that. He excels at writing big, poppy, alternative rock, stadium rock fucking bangers. And the fact that he sort of managed to do that and also lace it with, you know, some real, some real sadness. But like you say, like, it's it's not kind of I am in I am in I I'm in pain. This hurts. It is like I raise a glass to you. Thank you. It's celebrating you know the people that he's lost and some of them again you know some of the musical moments from it are, are really really great. I mean for me I don't know what your favourite song is at the moment. Show me how which sounds a bit like Pets by Porno for Pyro. It's got a kind of Porno for Pyro guitar tone, a kind of Smashing Pumpkins, um, Siamese Dream era Pumpkins kind of feel to it as well. Um, and it's a duet with his daughter. And, you know, and you think, I sometimes go, I think Foo Fighters have got a bit boring over the years. And yet this is a really, you know, it's not a heavy song. It's not a mad, like, raging rock song. It's not like got loads of fucking twists and turns and all these things in it. But I think when they write a good song, they're a really easy band to to admire and adore. And I think Dave Grohl duetting with his daughter on a song which sounds like you know, smashing pumpkins and porno for pyros. I, I, how could you begrudge him that? No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, for me, because I'm an absolute fucking sadist, my favourite track at the moment, anyway, is the last track, Rest, because it employs this technique that, I mean, there must be a specific musical term for it, which is like, kind of like gentle, really intimate, really sort of like minimalist and then it just goes maximal absolutely like like a monolith has just been dropped on the song like the fucking the end of the world happens like the end credits start rolling as that song goes on i mean like you know um to use a, a very different band as an example goddamn on their first album i've got the song dangle like skeletons which has the exact same kind of technique it's you know, acoustic guitar, Dave Grohl just singing and being really sort of like, you know, emotional and cathartic and and candid. And you feel like you're sitting in a room with him and then suddenly out of nowhere, this explosion happens and you're just like, oh shit, okay, brilliant. Absolutely fucking stunning. Like my heart is broken. Like you, you feel like you've got tears streaming down your face and you're like, yeah, this is perfect like i couldn't think of a better closed that album and the fact that well that i've had it, the album on repeat and it goes so perfectly into the start of of the, the first track again it's just yeah man it, it is really good it's a, it's an emotional one i think also you know um we should we did mention about the, the longest song that I, is this is the teacher the longest song that food fighters have ever done yeah. Ooh, I don't know about evident. Um, it could very well be. So what is it? Ten minutes and four seconds. Um, yeah. Feel like it probably is, but I mean, maybe there might be something off um, off Sonic Highways. 
because I feel like some of those tracks were kind of, especially the ones that were like inspired by Cayuse and stuff. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of want to check. Uh, I want to double check um, if if I'm right on that. So yeah, ten minutes. Um, looking at looking at their other albums, I mean, it's definitely not going to be anything off Medicines at Midnight. Uh, Sonic Highways has got a couple of long songs on it, but the longest one is seven minutes long. I am a river. The final track on that. I mean, I don't know. Um, but I'm gonna say I think it's the longest. Looking at everything else, yeah, man, it's definitely the longest song they've done. Definitely, because there's nothing on the first three, um, and I wouldn't imagine one by one has anything that long on it either. No, it doesn't by the looks of things. Uh, I haven't got a new album added onto my uh, computer yet, but apparently the longest song up, up until this point was uh, "Come Back" from One by One. Oh right, okay, okay um how long is that let's have a little look seven minutes and 49 seconds okay yeah that's you i'm looking at it now yes seven minutes 47 on spotify i don't know what they've done i pay my money i want my two seconds spotify you fuckers um but anyway yeah it's the longest food fighter song and i thought it sort of stand sort of started fairly standard food fighters and i was like oh is this going to be a bit of a slog and then about six minutes in you get to this kind of dreamy thing and it started to remind me of the chain by Fleetwood Mac when I said about Fleetwood Mac coming in it started to remind me of that and I thought oh this is cool and then I actually think that kind of bluesy I guess proggy kind of psychedelic bit towards the end is the best bit of the song and then we get like more of that like fucking really that I get like Bob Moldy distorted guitar coming in it's really good, man. It it absolutely justifies. Because I, I did, I looked at it and I went, 10 minute long Foo Fighters song." Not sure we need that. Earlier about a band that he's having their cake and eating it because yes, they've got a ten minute song on here, but then you've got stuff on the album that's obviously much shorter and much more direct. And the band have done that seamlessly and just gone, "Yeah, we can have both. We can do the really long song." But I think that the trick that they've done though, obviously, is the, is the trick that what all long songs should do, which is they've kind of got different movements within them. Piper Negative were like the absolute masters of it, you know, sort of, you go back to their first album and you're talking like, you know, I know you're fucking someone else. And then you've got, I think, is it Jack Rape on that song where he goes to the really heavy bits about him having the axe on Brighton Beach. And he, he just has these different movements. It's like, it's like two songs were being stuck together, but just moving back between them. And I think they do the same kind of thing really with it. Yeah, it's really good. It is, it is very good. I mean, it's not all incredible i think beyond me um has got uh, it is kind of half of it is great it's got some very paul mccartney finger fingerprints all over it i think the glasses maybe a little that's when they go uh, that's when i was like ah yes that's the kind of a bit more of the sort of schmaltzier foo fighters which i could do without but overall look you know this was always going to be you know one of those albums when you look at the context and you consider every line and you you look for clues into how Dave Grohl is feeling throughout it. And I think the beauty of it, like you've already said, Rich, is you don't really need to. This is so open and clear and concise about who it's for and what it is and what it's about. And I think it does the Foo Fighters a lot of favours, to be honest, because it's, you know, it's very well put together. It's very well produced. It's very sweet. It's really heartfelt. It's really kind of genuine sounding, really emotional. And it's them doing that in a way that they haven't captured 
for a long time. I think it's unquestionably when they're at their best. When you think of like times like these and stuff like that, that's when they're at their best. Uh, this for me is, well, look, it's their best album since Wasting Light by a billion miles. Yes, uh, I would definitely agree with that. And as you say, you've got it on the number three. Joint three. Yeah, joint three. Okay, yeah. I, I think it's probably about there for me as well. It's going to be top three. I mean, yeah, Wasting Lights. I'm a massive fan of um, of In Your Honour. I know that a lot of people really struggle with that album, but I think it's fucking great. Like, And I, maybe it's because it's the album I got into them on. And I just... Mm-hmm. Like thinking, but I just think the, the balance of acoustic and electric songs is perfect. They kind of get they really rage when they rage, and they really strip it back when they want to strip it back. So, and I, I like that this album kind of does the same thing. There's one song on In Your Honor that I fucking love, and I can't remember. Like, Best Year's really good, obviously. DOA, I think, is good. Uh, oh, the last song that is a great song. This is the last song that I will ever write to you. That is a good, that is a very, very good song, I think. Yeah. And it's not one that people talk about that much. So, yeah. There you go. Deep Cuts, uh, Friend of a Friend as well. Oh, yeah, that's a good song. Yeah, yeah which obviously is good. clearly about Nirvana. So. Absolutely it is. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, but here we are by Foo Fighters is out now. You've probably heard it if you're interested in it. If you thought, fuck the Foo Fighters, I'm, I've checked out. Honestly, it's it's very good. It's very, very good. I enjoyed it. Um, anyway, let's move on. This is why I've got you on, Rich. This weekend marks the 20th anniversary of the Download Festival. Uh, sort of, I guess, not exactly, but it's 20, 20 years of download this weekend. And if you're going to that festival, um, you're there at the moment, I imagine, like I've already said. And if you aren't, but you thought, oh, I need a little bit of download nostalgia uh, to hark back to, um, then we're going to be doing that. We're going to be looking at the first ever festival that took place in 2003 over two days and rebooking it as we had would have done were we Andy Coppin. Before we get into it, um, let's just chat about Download really, really quickly. How important has this weekend on the calendar become? Because you're a little bit younger than me, Rich. I remember a time where we didn't have anything like this. We didn't have a three-day or this week, like four-day festival where you knew you'd be able to watch rock music all weekend we had maybe a one day Ozfest, maybe one day at reading you know a few years before i went to reading you would get like maybe two or three days of it if you're lucky you know you might get a lost weekend or a, a big day out or whatever it's called but you didn't really get this until on a regular basis until download came along um so it's become like you know something that i go you kids you don't know how lucky you are uh, even though I moan about it, but it's a big deal, right? Yeah, no, it's an absolutely fucking massive deal. I mean, working on stuff for Hammer and looking into the history of it, as you say, you basically, I think it's 96 Monsters of Rock Ends or maybe 97. So then you 96. talk 96, yeah. So they, therefore, you're talking a seven year period where like bands that, that are, like Skindred would never get a fucking look in. A festival. They didn't have a place to go. And the thing is, is that's not that's not conjecture. That's not me going. Oh well, you know. No, I've spoke to you know. I spoke to Paul Catton of uh, Murder One, who was the first band that ever played Download, and he said, "Mate, we were never going to get booked for Reading. We were never going to get booked for Glastonbury." He said, "But Download straight away were like, come on, guys, come and have a have a go." 
he says, and that's that's the beauty of that festival. And I mean, this is why I never, like, you know, come rain or shine, some of the best sets that I've seen bands play has been at Download because as, as, as cheesy as it is and as much as, like, people can overhype it and stuff, there is a magic to it. There is a magic to when you go and it feels like people are invested. And it, for some bands, it is the making and breaking of their career. I mean, Christ, how many of the bands that we saw at the pilot have had such a massive upswing afterwards and how much of that is because they got those moments where they could stand in front of, you know, while she sleeps or malevolence, standing in front of a crowd of sort of 10, 15,000 people and getting the reception that they deserve that they're not going to get in a single event anywhere else. They're not going to... Bleed from within, mate. Bleed from within the one that you look at and you go, what a fucking... Since that pilot, they have gone fucking stratospheric. It's been crazy. And this is exactly it. And so there is a magic to it. And I think the, the, the problem that we have is that there are there are misgivings with, I think, how the festival has kind of run in more recent years. I mean, like last year's just kind of seemed well out of, out of touch with everything that's kind of happening with with the landscape of rock and metal and punk. You know, I mean, I complain to you bitterly because I went to go and watch Descendants play to maybe 30 people in the tent. Yeah. And that was because they were on a bill with no one around to support them. There was no, there was no like pop punk bill that you could go and curate and say, oh yeah, the pop punk fans can go here. It just feels like they were trying to have a bit of everything. This year feels good because they're going back to kind of the roots, I think, of picking bands that are kind of in an ascendant phase, just and giving them a place that they can have a proper moment, which is what you need. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't feel like another gig. It shouldn't feel like a band playing download. Oh yeah, well it'll be fine. Like you know, Skindred. Oh, I've seen Skindred probably twenty or thirty times at this point. Fuck you, no, bro. I'm going to see them with one hundred and twenty thousand people, and it's going to be amazing. And you know, that is what I, I, I forecast for any of the bands that are playing that weekend. It's like, oh, I'm going to go and watch Clutch. I've seen Clutch alone, but fuck me, I'm going to watch them with one hundred and twenty thousand people, and that's going to be lovely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, the lineup. I can't, although it's it's one of those things where I think, well, I've I've seen it, you know, I've already said this, I've seen it, pretty much everything on it, but then I can't actually look at it and go, what would I have done differently? I'm not really sure. And when I look back at the first ever Download Festival, which took place on Saturday the 31st of May and Sunday the 1st of June, we'll go through the, the lineup as it as it was on, on those two days. Um, now, I didn't go to this. Did you go to this? I didn't, mate. I didn't go to my first Download until 2008. Right, so, okay. Um, tried to five and 06, but they're both sold out. Right, okay. Yeah, so, um, Saturday the 31st of May, I made a Marilyn Manson, Deftones, Ministry, In Me, Murder Dolls, Amen. This is what blew my fucking mind at the time. And, like, when, when Rich talks about, you know, like, talking to Paul Catton and being like, oh, we wouldn't have been able to play, uh, you know, a festival like that. Main stage four. I know it doesn't seem weird now, but Funeral for a Friend stamping ground shadows fall and like you say murder one funeral for a friend were a band who i'm eight months eight nine months ago had gone on first in a pub in merthyr tidville with my band going on after them and they were now playing with iron maiden deftones and marilyn manson and ministry at donnington park on the main stage with fucking stamping ground who were just a band who played every little shitty fucking pub venue in the country and yet there they were back in the day that blew my fucking mind 
just blew my mind. I just could not even fathom. I remember seeing Ryan, who was funeral for a friend's drummer, at a um, at a hundred reasons show again in a little bar a few weeks later, and I was like, "You played fucking Donington Park, mate!" And he was like, "I know." I don't know what the fuck happened. I don't know how that fucking happened. I mean, I don't, I'm not even sure Casually Jess had even come out at this point. They were just a little band and it was so amazing to see. And I think when, you know, when we do moan about, you know, download, oh, this band should have got the chance here, there, there. I always go back to that first day ever at download and be like, funeral for a friend in stamping ground and murder one on the main stage. Like, come on that's where we should be mental anyway that's that's the main stage second stage was headlined by a of course it was um i i love them that guy's brilliant they should be should be headlining the main stage um a real big fish taproot sepultura reef him soil the helicopters sixth three colors red from morton to ashes queen adrena violent delight arch enemy and chimera again picking some stuff which went on to be very very popular sick went on to be a cult band um arch enemy and chimera that opening two bands like great picks yeah absolutely uh, so a bit of a spoiler for my list but i didn't pick arch enemy or chimera but both of them did come up and i was thinking fuck like if i could fit them on <laughs> if, if i wasn't doing a dream selection yeah like uh, those bands at that point like and again there's nothing, there's nowhere that those bands could have gone. No, Chimera aren't turning up at Reading and playing with fucking Pulp. Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Uh, it was going to be on the Sunday. So Sunday is a bit different, although something does happen on the Sunday, which has gone into legend, of course. But Limp Biscuit were meant to headline the Sunday and they pulled out because Limp Biscuit loved not playing Britain. Trust me, from the frustrating amount of times I tried to watch them back in the day. Uh, the main stage was headlined by Audio Slave. You were, sorry? I, well, <sighs> yeah, I tell you what, the, wor the worst one for me was when they got added late uh, to the, it was meant to be in Red in 97. I'm going off on one, Rich. Apologize for this. Red in 97, the first ever Vans Warp Tour. First time they announced it, Deftones, right? It was like, oh, Deftones, brilliant, right? On the day they put who was playing up when we got there, and it was like, where are Deftones? Oh, they've pulled out. They're not playing. They've been replaced by Limp Biscuit. And we were like, oh, okay. I mean, fucking great, Limp Biscuit. And Limp Biscuit just never showed up. Fucking pricks. Fucking pricks. They went, oh yeah, they played yesterday in Germany and they don't want to do it now. It's like, you bastards. So anyway, no Limp Biscuit. So no Limp Biscuit, but Audio Slave, Zwan, Flint, which is Keith Flint from the prodigy he's like solo thing uh apocalyptica lesson jake disturbed stone sour evanescence mud veins spine shank the darkness one minute silence raging speedhorn and instruction that's a lot of bands on that stage right yeah that is a lot of bands on that stage and it's, it's weird as well kind of having those those bands at the top as well audio slave who would have released their first album but obviously would be headlining only because they've been pulled up because of uh, Limp Biscuit leaving. Zwan, which, uh, that's Billy Corgan's band, isn't it, Zwan? Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. So Billy Corgan's other band, and then Keith Flynn's solo band. Like, that, that is, like, that is literally, like, like the fucking everything that we've got at home, isn't it, that your mum tells you about. She's like, oh, no, you can't have Smashing Pumpkins, you can have Zwan. Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> 
Biscuit, you can have audio slave, which I mean, admittedly to me, is like he's like saying, "Oh, you can't have I don't know, fucking, you can't have spam tonight, but you can have a steak." Yeah, brilliant. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people weren't that fussed about it, but particularly at that time, like the wagon, as we will discuss when we get into our own picks, the old new metal bandwagon, the wheels had more than come off at this point, hadn't they? So I think a lot of this is after Wes Borland's left as well, which I was quite surprised by when I looked into yeah. these. Um the Scud stage, the second stage, was headlined by no effects. Look at this. Boy says fire. Subbing lovely stuff. The bouncing souls strung out thrice, sponge, TSOL, the real Mackenzie's, some band called Metallica. Mental. The eighties. Yeah, I know. Yeah, good that Download gave them their chance early on, but, you know, they really should have taken it. Uh, the 80s Matchbox Beeline disaster. Brand new instruction again. Uh, beat Stakes Randy and Fabulous Disaster. I mean, that is basically, you know, a, a punk stage and Metallica. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, again, looking at the history of it, I suppose it was a massive skater thing as well at the time, like skating you got the Tony Hawk's kind of soundtracks that have really turned a generation onto a lot of those bands. So it seems like Download was fully capitalising on that. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool. And for those of you who don't know the story, and I'm sure kind of most of you do at this point. Um, yeah. Basically Metallica just did a sort of secret set while I believe, I think Evanescence were playing and the word got out and Evanescence played to a rather diminished crowd, which I bottled out of asking Amy Lee about, unfortunately um i was like i won't ask her because it feels like a bit kind of rubbing her face in it or something so like she gets asked like constantly invasive questions so like you know i saw it again in another feature that she'd been asked about like do you right call me when you're sober about sean morgan from caesar and it's like everyone knows that she did and she's got to say that story again and i bet i bet she must be fucking really regretting that song now like fuck it's it's a big one and everyone's gonna ask me about it until i die like, how would you feel about being asked about your fucking girlfriend when you were, like, 19? <laughs> so it's like three questions that you ask Amy, that you don't ask Amy Lee all the time, and uh, unfortunately, that is one of them. Anyway, enough about the past and what actually happened. We have decided to rebook the original download in our own image. Um, the rules are very simple. Two days, same as the original one. Two stages, the same as the original one, one main and one second, obviously. Uh, but rather than the massive amount of bands that played on that original download, we've decided to cut it down to a much more 2023 and manageable eight bands on main stage and six bands on second stage. Now, happy to put up a vote about whose lineup is better when we finish this. Um, but we're going to start with the Saturday and we're going to start by going from the bottom of the bill upwards, as you would do of the day. We'll do second stage, and then we'll do main stage. Rich, you are our guest, or my guest. I'm going to give you the choice of whether you would like to start, or if you'd like me to go first. I'm going to let you go first, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm interested okay. you pick. Okay, all right, fine. So six bands on the second stage, this is how I would kick it off. Now, I'm taking a big old risk early on. Right, because what I've thought is I am using throughout this the benefit of hindsight. I should say as well, in terms of the rules, I forgot to say this. In terms of the rules, if a band could play, 
then they're eligible. We can't be like, oh, Kurt Cobain didn't kill himself. We brought him back to life and he's so Nirvana headline. We couldn't do any of that, right? We could, I said to Rich, you can reform a band maybe if it's, you know, if it's kind of feasible, but, you know, you can't bring John Bonham back from the dead or whatever, or if, you know, like, but, but anything else, what as long as they're eligible and formed as a band and they're, they were playing, they were around, and they're eligible so that's how we're going with it um you can pick people that were playing i've actually got a band on each day who did play the original download lineup because i just didn't want to leave them out so there you go that's the rule so we could just go well the dream lineup was the lineup that we got anyway but i doubt we've done that but i've taken a bit of a punt because obviously i know from hindsight i know who goes on to be a big deal and a band who are a, a fucking big deal and who have got a very good slot this year at the festival who actually formed in 2003 in byron bay in australia and i would take a punt on parkway drive oh really on the first album though like <laughs> not even an album on literally i think they probably didn't even have an album at that point they would be raw as hell mate raw as hell People would be turning up and thinking it was just a fucking warm-up. Like, oh, yeah, they're just going check you. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know that. Parkway Drive have always been a fucking great live band. They've always been a great live band. And they've gone on to have such a massive legacy at Download that I feel like, you know, fuck it. Get them on the plane. Get the plane tickets over. Say, like, you, you young band currently playing in, like, basketball huts in, you know parts of northern australia like you don't know why we're we're f f like flying you out here yet to play this massive festival but trust us trust us one day this will seem like the most normal thing in the world so i would it's a it's a punt that i'm taking here but opening up the whole festival on the second stage early doors angry as fuck raw as fuck parkway drive i think that'd be killer I mean, yeah, to be fair, mate, they're not a bad band live, are they? They they bring so much energy and stride and just... They've got star quality, and I think that would have been evident even at that point. So, obviously, for, for all my pithy little comments, that's just because I think it's a good pick and I'm, I'm having to uh, pedal on the uh, the bike. Yeah, okay. Fine. Um, following Partway Drive, um, this is quite a heavy day, although I've tried to kind of pepper it with some of the punk stuff that... Um, uh, you know that the original download did do because I do you kind of think of download at this point really more as a metal festival but i think it is good to have some of that punk stuff and uh, a band who didn't play that year and i think it's a bit of a shame because when you look at stuff like you know instruction and some of the other the the kind of punk bands that played reinventing axel reinvent reinventing excuse me axel rose by against me came out that year mm. and against me have obviously gone on to be much bigger a band than you know violent delight or randy or fabulous disaster or you know in again no shade on the instruction they're actually quite a good band but i would like to see again a, a very different against me to the one you get now but like back then they were absolute fucking hardcore darlings and that scene was just coming through i think you know get them on there for many people reinventing axel rose is the definitive classic against me record it's not my personal favorite and you know they they would probably turn up in a fucking transit van um 
while everyone else has turned up in big coaches. Which but, one is yours, though? People hate me for I, I, I think uh, Transgender Dysphoria Blues is amazing, but I also love New Wave. Okay. I love New Wave. I think it's amazing. Um, I know it's like, I oh, got a major and then all this stuff, but I don't give a shit. Those songs are cool. I mean, I'm, I'm a total fucking simp. I'm there like White Crosses sound. Yeah, I love, I, again, White Crosses is brilliant. Fucking brilliant. So this would be all before this. This would be like that kind of, you know, like Pints of Guinness make you strong, really kind of fucking aggro as fuck, um, folk punk against me after this. Like, it, it's a scrappy way to start the day. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm having it. Um, after that, again, another band. I'm using hindsight here. Um, Devil Driver, who formed the year before. Now, Devil Driver have gone on to be proper download favourites. You go watch Devil Driver at download, it's not like watching them anywhere else. People fucking love Devil Driver back then. And obviously in 2003, post-Cold Chamber, Des was, you know, maybe... Des doesn't have to fucking prove himself to anyone now. Like, he's a lifer. He's done it for so long. He's made some great albums with that band. But I think going to Donington so early after off the back of you know cold chamber being seen as a bit of a laughing stock with the bit between his teeth which he obviously has in devil driver and going there to prove himself also as i say knowing what we know now i think that would be killer yeah no, there's absolutely no denying that i don't i don't know if the album would have been out by that point but even if it's not that that leaves the possibility that they might have even dropped a few cold chamber songs in which i believe there's said they did used to do in the very early days because i mean he set mm. devil driver while cold chamber were falling apart basically and just yeah. kind of yeah i've got another horse here we go yeah fucking fucking great um uh, another band who i have banged on about a lot and so there's two bands here which i'll get to the headliners in a bit but this is the first of the two where i think they may not have been in their prime but i think they were fucking great bands and they had a bit of limelight in the 90s and for whatever reason as as beloved as they are uh it felt like stuff like you, you know for me the download you just go get the best fucking metal bands of the last however long because they might have missed out on it when they weren't playing. Entombed, Inferno came out that year. Mm. Entombed would have been fucking awesome. I mean, look, you know, I do think, yeah, obviously the early years of Entombed were better, but there was no big festival for them to play at. And so they never got the chance to do it other than that one day. They did play the Ozfest, to be fair. Um, but I think Inferno, it's not prime Entombed. But Uprising, Inferno, Morningstar, that period, I still think it's good enough. And when you put it alongside the absolute classics, they were a band who I think got uh, so unfairly forgotten for so long and they should have been in that conversation. They would have fucking killed it on the second stage of download. Lovely stuff. Imagine the fucking size of the bruises as well after you've had Devil Driver and then Entombed. Jesus Christ. Yeah, be great, be fucking great. So, um, you know, like I say, bit of punk rock as well. I want to put on this stage. So, the sub headliners for this stage would be the Distillers, um, mainly because, as we know, they've ended up just not playing Download. They've been fucking confirmed for it during the pandemic, and then obviously that didn't happen. They were meant to play it this year, and they pulled out. Um, Coral Fang came out that year. It's their first album on a on a on a major label. And, you know, obviously, I think Sing Sing Death House is just a fucking great record. 
um knowing what we know now that the distillers just never played download i think it'd be good to get them early doors get them in on the first one i i was looking into the distillers uh i think they played b festival that year of all the fucking places well exactly fuck that get off that fucking v lineup and get on the download lineup and my headliners you've already mentioned my second stage headliners in this episode rich typo negative typo negative never played download life is killing me came out that year and look typo negative was not as popular at that point as they would be now or that they had been before you know they got to the point where they could play brixton academy typo negative here in the uk on the kind of october rust um world coming down kind of era but for me they are a genuinely classic band and they deserved to have that big festival moment a festival moment that they never got there are a lot of these other bands that we talk about you know when we say our corn never got the chance to headline and deftones never got the chance to headline they've still played these big festivals in the uk enough typo never got to play a festival in the uk other than you know the last ever monsters of rocket donington in 1996 where they only played two songs two or three songs i believe because they only had like 25 minutes half an hour yeah i was gonna say it's the opeth problem isn't it like yeah we'll, we'll play grand conjuration right bye yeah exactly so i'm saying i want to give typo you know an hour and 15 an hour and 20 minutes headlining that second stage on the first day i think that would be absolutely killer because they're just such a fucking brilliant band so that's my second stage on the first day to recap parkway drive into against me into devil driver into entombed into distillers into typo negative oh i'm saying that's a good day uh rich what what do you think about broadly mate that is a fucking great <laughs> to be fair the, the devil driver thing i wish i'd done i, I considered them but i I reserved judgment in the end because I was like, oh no, I, I'd have left it till around 2005 for Devil Driver, so they've got a little bit of uh, ground underneath them so they can come out and absolutely slay it, which I think is the year they actually did play for the first time. So mm. that's when I saw them for the first time. Fucking amazing. Okay. All right. Well, um, hit me with your second stage. Let's go from, from the start. So I'm opening the day similarly with a band that would have just formed. And I'm sort of saying, well, we're saying to you, you're opening this festival at Donington. You know, you need a band with a bit of legacy, a little bit of a uh, bit of uh, something behind them. So I'm going Velvet Revolver, who played their first ever gig on June 19th. So they played their first gig two weeks later. So I'm saying that we've got some sneaky little bastard that's there going, oh, yeah. This band with Slash and Scott Wyland and Duff McKagan has just come around and they're going to start playing gigs. Cool, they're opening. That's, that's my opening. Wow. That is, a, I mean, you fuck it. There's me going, <laughs> let's pay, park, pay Parkway Drive 500 quid if they can get themselves over from Byron Bay. They've only done five shows and they haven't even got an EP. You've got Slash and fucking Duff and Scott Wyland as the opening band. I mean, I'm going to struggle to fucking follow this, I think. But I mean, mate, it's a great show. I did think about Velvet Revolver, but I certainly wouldn't have been like, put them on first. I mean, mate, I'll tell you what, you'll get everyone out of their tent early for that. Well, this is it. And the thing is, is if you sort of drop the, the little kernel of a rumour, the same way that the Metallica Secret set went, you say, we've got Slash on site and Slash is here and he's going to be opening the, the second stage. 
brilliant. Everyone's going to turn out really early, which is what you want as well for you. For your new festival, you want to have that feeling of lineage and fresh, new, exciting stuff. Plus, mm. I'm just really bent out to show that I missed seeing Velvet Revolver because my dad went to see them about a month before they they sort of split. So, oh, and he fucking rubs it in every time that it comes up as well. He'll just go, oh, sorry, mate, and walk off. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, mate, that's a strong start. That is my start. Uh, so second, we're, we're dropping off a little bit here, I think, in terms of like, oh, wow. But Lacuna Coil had put out Comalies in 2002. That band is firmly established on the scene. And I think, again, this is the idea of download, giving bands that weren't otherwise getting a platform a place to play. I think they did actually play 2003, maybe. Did they? 2003, Lacuna Coil. No, I don't know. They did, actually. No, it doesn't look like they did. They might have played. No, they didn't. No. Doesn't look like it. They might play 2004. Yeah, Maybe. I'm just gonna have a little look down here and I can't see him actually off the top of my head. Yeah, maybe. Well, well there we no. go. I'm writing a wrong then, mate, because that band should be given a, sh a shot. And they're a great band, though. They've got some good bangers in the in the sort of vault by that point, and you want to give that little bit of goth metal a, a bit of a boost up. And plus, if you're looking at the, the landscape at that point, this is basically where symphonic metal is about to kind of explode and this idea of, like, female-fronted metal, as they love to call it. Even though yeah. it's fucking bands saying the same, like, you know, Evanescence are not a fucking symphonic band. They don't say anything like Nightwish, who doesn't say anything like Within Temptation, and so on and so forth. But the interest in that stuff is about to explode. So, because you, the following year, you obviously end up with uh, Nightwish's Nemo, was it once? Once, I think, is the album. Once, mm. and you've got Within Temptations album, which I want to say is Mother Earth. Could be wrong on mate, that. You, you know better than me, mate. I haven't got a fucking clue. This is me pulling um, basically uh, off the top of my head. But so that thing is about to explode in 12 months' time. So you want to have an act that can go on at your festival and kind of go, yeah, we knew about this before it happened. And that is the benefit of hindsight, I guess. But yeah, that's my number two. Okay, good. I've also just noticed, by the way, it's a good. I think it's a good pick. And I've also just noticed as I scroll to two thousand four, the Distillers actually did play, uh, which I didn't realise they played it in two thousand four. So they have played Download before. So I was wrong. But yeah, mate, that is that's a good chat. Yeah, I mean, Lacuna Coil again have done the main stage multiple occasions, and it would have been something that, like you say, it would have been getting in on the ground early. So I can't argue with that. Um, who comes after that? Therapy. It's got to be therapy, hasn't it? You want your British band, so first British band of the day. They have just released High Anxiety, which is an absolutely stunning record. I mean, in terms of the people that wanted them to do another Trouble Gun, there you go, High Anxiety. It's just dropped out for you. You can now come along and have a sing along to all the songs that you know from Scream Age, uh, from Scream Age, from Trouble Gun. And obviously, now you've got all these new songs like If It Kills Me, like Watch You Go rust just all these great songs that you are going to have an yeah. fucking ball of a time i'm wondering if we're going to be able to go a whole week without talking about therapy we seem to be talking about them every single week they come up but they are yeah uh, uh, that is a great shout that is a great shout yeah rightly so as well uh yeah. so yeah. then great i've kept the metallica secret set I, i've kept that on there i've said 
that's where they played. They were offered, obviously, to headline. The whole reason they played the Secret Service was because they were offered to headline. They were already doing Reading and Leeds, so couldn't. So they just turned up to Donington to kind of pay tribute. And that's what you want. And again, like, you know, you don't want to take that legendary moment of Metallica turning up at the first ever download away, I think. So. Yeah, I mean, I have taken it away. And now you're saying that, I'm like, why have I done that? Because that is obviously one of the maddest, most brilliant things that was ever happened. Uh, so, yeah, I do feel a bit silly that I haven't done that, spoiler alert. But, I mean, yeah, it doesn't even need any kind of comment from me, really. Of course, if you can get Metallica <laughs> playing after therapy, it's a bit like Donnie's Monsters of Rock 1995, but in a tent. Yeah, exactly it. and uh, what i'm trying to do here is establish a sense as i say of lineage to what has come before to where we want to go with this festival uh so next up i have shared a band with you hyper negative mate it has to be doesn't it like life is killing me is an unbelievable yeah. album and the problem is as well the band really fall off a cliff here because they part ways with Roadrunner and it's not an amicable split. Roadrunner mm. literally hampered the fuck out of them. When I spoke to the band a few years ago for the Peter Steele feature, that is exactly what they said. They said, yeah, we, we obviously had all these singles, like I Don't Want to Be Me. They said that kind of the band, the label just cut basically and went, yeah, we're not going to let you release this as a massive thing. But, you know, you give them a chance to turn up to a... Donington and fucking Blast, I Don't Want to Be Me, and a few of their older tunes in a set list. They're going to have a wonderful time. I'm going to have a wonderful time. Everyone's going to have a wonderful time. Yeah, what a band. What a fucking band. I mean, I've already just spoken about them, so you're dead right. You're dead right. What lovely stuff. Yeah. And my headliners, I have gone, again, kind of right in a wrong, Evanescence. Uh, I felt bad for them having to fucking go up against Metallica. But I'm saying, you know, Fallen has gone supernova in 2003. So Bring Me to Life had obviously already started establishing the band's cred with the Daredevil soundtrack. It's already kind of made its route, its rounds. Uh, then Fallen comes out. They've obviously got like, an, I think it's a number one album in the UK, maybe number two off the top of my head. And they've gone platinum. So this is a band that's very much exploding. And because we're coming at the end of the new metal era, they're kind of the last the last major success story of that genre. So give them the second stage headline. Plus also, like they would be one of maybe maybe even now one of the only women to have ever headlined Donington Park, which is mental. Mm. You think about the history of that. Like, there's lots of bands that pop up on the lineup, but none of them get the chance to headline, and they should have. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, Fallen did get to number one in the UK, uh, which I didn't realise, but yeah, fuck me, it did. Um, yeah, that's a good shout, mate. I think, um, just give everyone a recap on your day again, Rich, so that they can make the uh, considered decision as to whose festival they want to go to more. So that is Velvet Revolver into Lacuna Coil, Therapy, Metallica Secret Set, Typo Negative and Evanescence headlining. Which again, like an AB of Typo Negative and Evanescence feels like a brilliant sort of, yeah. That's going to that's gonna make more sense for Lacuna Coil as well. Yeah, I think you've done a very good job there, mate. Well done. I, you've actually done a very good job. I'm a bit worried for the rest of the podcast now, to be honest. But anyway, let's move on to my main stage lineup on the Saturday. 
I'm going to kick things off again. Uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing. And we weren't quite at the apex of the new wave of American heavy metal at this point, but it was happening. And I'm leading into that. I'm going to go, you know what, new metal, your time is done. And we're going to remove you. And we are basically going to go, this is the thing that's happening pretty much. And if you're going to put one of those bands in to open the main stage, it's got to be Lamb of God. Lamb of God on As the Palaces Burn, which came out that year. Momentum for that band probably hasn't got to the point where it would do in a couple of years, where they come back on Sacrament or, um, yeah, I think it was Sacrament when they when they played that main stage set, which was fucking incredible. Um, but, you know, again, another band who were just born brilliant live. They've got two albums worth of material and all of it is fucking absolutely outrageously brilliant. They're about to be kind of the definitive heavy band for a generation. That's about to happen. And so getting in on the ground up, letting them open this whole thing up. Just a no brainer, isn't it? In every sense of the word, open this thing up, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Motherfuckers make a circle. Yeah, I mean, that would be like big old, big old circle pit. So yeah, Lamb of God opening up the main stage on Saturday. Now, this is the most controversial choice of my entire lineup. So bear with me on this. Download Festival have had a grand tradition, which I enjoy over the years, of booking um, Pendulum, Lethal Bizzle, The Ant Word, Chase and Status. I would like one of those sort of artists every year. That would be my, at least one. I would like at least one of those on every download lineup every year. We've got Joey Valance and Bray this year, which I think is really cool because they've got basically got nothing to do with rock and metal at all. And, um, and they're cool. So I think that is one of the things that I'd be most excited about. This is about a month or so before we get Boy in a Corner by Dizzy Rascal. Okay. Nice. And... I think in the grand tradition of download booking, you know, cutting edge, harsh electronic, like a party starting, raucous, harsh electronic and R&B and hip hop artists. I think Dizzy Rascal sandwiching what I'm sandwiching in, in between. This guy who's like about to win a fucking Mercury Prize, who is going to release this fucking monstrously like aggressive grime album. You know, for the time, I know Boy in the Corner maybe doesn't sound quite as manic today as it did back then, although it still sounds fucking brilliant. Um, and he goes on to be a fucking megastar. I would love to. And, and and also it would have been like, oh, Dizzy Rascal accepted into kind of rock and metal in the same way as like the Prodigy were or whatever. That's what I would have liked to have seen. And it's sort of, you know, I know he got a bit silly, um, you know, about a decade later when he's doing England songs with James Corden and stuff. No one needs that. But at this point, this like young fucking kid from London stepping out on the main stage at Download, I would have fucking killed to see that. I would love to see that. Fix up, look sharp. Do you know what I mean? Like absolutely, f oh man. I think that would have been awesome. That is a great choice. And it he, he sets a precedent as well. I think, again, when you look at what actually happened with Download, they got far too rigid with what, you know, 
or could be booked and then people are going i don't want pendulum i don't want prodigy like fuck off come on you're gonna have a wonderful time when fucking propane nightmare comes on or fucking you know spitfire or or smack my bitch up or any of those songs that fit in perfectly on a on a rock and metal playlist so fuck it yeah no brilliant choice mate yeah i think that's good i'm happy with that and i think again it's what you surround them with and if dizzy rascal goes off and hate breed come on you're having a lovely time so i think dizzy rascal sandwiched between lamb of god and hate breed is is exactly the world that i want to live in perseverance came out that year hate breed were already you know touring with slipknot touring with slayer um satisfaction is the death of desire had basically made them like the hardcore band for people to look at and when they come out of perseverance and they are just fully accepted by metal i cannot imagine how hate breed would do anything other than just kill it i know we're kind of used to them at this point i think they've become so kind of reliable a bit like skin Dead, right you kind of just get used to how great hate breed are but it would have been fucking all aw- i think that would have been fucking awesome obviously i mean they again again i just have been on my lineup yeah yeah, uh, you know, again, like kind of all reliable at this point, but Lamb of God into Dizzy Rascal into Hatebreed into Glassjaw. I think, ouch. I think that would be like a, a hell of a day. I mean, you know, this all depends on Daryl being well. And I know that he wasn't a lot of the time back then, but Cosmopolitan Blood Loss and Ape Dust Mill were getting played on Scars and Kerrang all the fucking time at this point. Worship and Tribute had come out in 2002. And the people that love that band fucking love that band. And as much as I now am a bit like, mm, there's no point going to see Glassjaw because are they going to turn up? Do they care? Do they want to be doing this? Will they ever do this? They never got a chance in their prime to really play like a big UK show, I don't think. They never got that chance. And so I think going back and giving them the opportunity to play like the biggest stage of the biggest metal festival, the biggest rock festival in the UK at a time when they were absolutely like on it. I think that could have actually been a really, really special, really kind of legendary set for that particular type of music. Yeah, no, brilliant. You a big Glassjaw fan at all? Because I know people either tend to adore them or not care at all. I I like what I've heard, brother. It's not one that I go to very often. I like a lot of the bands that they inspired more than them. It's a bit like it's one of those chicken and egg things, and the problem is, is once I've had the chicken, I'm not really that interested in the egg. Okay, fair, yeah, fine. Um, After that, I would have the so okay, so I nearly went for Motorhead here because I was like, I want a kind of older band, I want something to bring it back to you know like kind of traditional Monsters of Rock values, and so I nearly went for Motorhead, but then I remembered having just been speaking about them quite a lot recently on the podcast, Killing Joke performed it that year. And they had the Dave Grohl, Andy Gill, second self-titled album. And I just think, like, we hadn't really seen Killing Joke again, you know, on these stages at any point. And I'm not sure they've ever even played. I'm not sure they've ever played the main stage at Download. And I'm not sure how that would work in, like, the sun, the outdoors and whatnot. I'm not sure that even that's the best time for Killing Joke, but... I think on that album it would have been amazing. Obviously, they played Bloodstock last year, and that was a bit weird. Didn't really on a scorching hot day where everyone's like dying. Like, yeah, they just didn't quite 
he didn't feel like it went anywhere. Like even Jonathan, who's obviously like one of the world's biggest killing joke fans, was basically saying, "Yeah, the, the whole tantric, mesmerising thing that they do just doesn't quite work when you're just really fucking sunburnt and just want to, you know, have a dance, have a lolly, yeah, <laughs> have a nice lolly." You're basically, yeah. standing at the back of the uh, the ice cream van, just going, "Please just shovel ice on me." <laughs> yeah but i think at this period like you say you know killing joke with that fucking pounding record dave dave, dave Grohl bringing him out he wouldn't i'm sure he didn't play live with them but like lovely stuff uh after that um again another band that i've not been super keen on over the years but anthrax released we've come for you all that year and the whole bush versus belladonna thing you know i think is not is a kind of a moot point at this point because I think Anthrax are just a nostalgia act with that original lineup. I think that's they they just are. But back then they released that album and I feel like it was a bit of a slow burn. I think it's only really been the last like decade or so that people have gone. Do you know what was really great? That fucking Anthrax album that came out in two thousand three. And I think them getting a the chance to show that with John Bush on vocals, I think that would have been great. And I would like to think that it might inspire them to go we don't need to reform the original lineup because for me this was like the last time anthrax were a truly kind of great relevant band i love that album and i don't think they've ever done anything close to it since and i never got to see them with john bush which i fucking hate because i've seen them loads of times with belladonna and it's I, the songs they did with belladonna are better but john bush is a better vocalist the songs really? with Donna are better, really. Better than the kind of riding shotgun, better than uh, Safe Home and Refuse to Be Denied. Well, mate, look, the, the the biggest ones, I should say, then the kind of mo- their kind of most anthemic songs are the ones with Joe Belladonna. But yeah, I'd, I I feel you on that massively. Like it, it gutted me because I got into Anthrax through the John Bush stuff, and obviously in the days before you could readily just go on the internet and find out, I had to turn up to a fucking show and be like, "Well, this isn't the guy I thought it was going to be." Where are the songs from now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had a lovely so... time, but yeah. Um, I mean, the funny thing is, is obviously as well they're the only band of the big four, really. I mean, by that point. Um, Slayer are kind of making their comeback, so okay, fair enough. But like, they they came out of the, the 90s, they were the, the healthiest looking big four band because Megadeth yeah. had an absolute fucking mare. Obviously, Slayer have kind of dropped off up until God Hates Us All, and obviously, Metallica are about to drop St. Anger, so stay no more. But I mean, like, you know, tracks are just they changed with the times, and it was great because they just went, Yeah, we're just gonna. Uh, completely change what we do and go harder and heavier and yeah where's that bang on i don't know anyway so anthrax into my sub headliners potential could be potential headliners really i'm nicking them off of the reading festival system of a down i mean they do go and sub metallica at reading a few months down the line sure but i think surely surely they would prefer this they would prefer this bill surely they would fit better on this bill i mean mind you particularly because they did the Ozfest in 2002 on the same stage and they had to cut it short because the fucking wind nearly decapitated you know something blew down and they decapitated john dolmayan i mean 
I don't know which one of the two festivals they would prefer if you gave them the option. Maybe they had the option and they went for Reading with Metallica. Maybe they did. But I just think System at this point were, for my money, probably... Like, I've dropped out Deftones because what I've done there is... I love Deftones, as you all know. But I am saving Deftones from themselves because every time they play fucking Download, it's just... The people don't care. And I'm just going to say Deftones, do you know what? Give that give that a swerve give that festival a swerve because you know it never works out for you and in your place system of a down who then went on to you know in the, the, the every time i've seen system of a down at download they've been dreadful but they they could be good they could be good and they have been good and they would have been good i guarantee at this period in their career they would have fucking killed it so system of a down as sub headliners that's fine isn't it yeah, no, I've got no, uh, no, no disagreements from me here. Okay. And my headliners for the first day um, are Iron Maiden. Okay. Interesting pick for you, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, look, firstly, I want to sell some tickets here, right? Obviously. <laughs> um, but they are one of only two bands that I've kept from the original lineup. And Maiden at the first download and the return to Donington Park and this brand new thing, uh, it just makes sense to me. It just makes too much sense. I mean, look, you know, it's an early night for me. Sure, I wouldn't have been that fussed. But I think they got this dead right back in the day. I like a bit of serendipity. I like a bit of romance and a bit of kind of, you know, a kind of a, a nurturing of paying it back a bit of respect to the past i like all that stuff um i don't know if you'd have told me in 2003 we'd still be doing that about a band who were you know had their best days 20 years before if we'd still be doing that 20 years earlier come on rich they did don't pull that face brave new world is that your favorite maiden album Mm, it's it's up there it's top three Top three. Okay. I, I'm okay. a fucking weird Maiden fan, though. I'm the one that hates the the one that everyone loves with the fucking pharaohs on the cover. Uh, like the one Power Slave. Yeah, it's got all the fucking like the proggy ones that they've kind of. That's how their career is defaulted to. Yeah, we're gonna have a 15 minute song with one riff that we're gonna play for 10 minutes of that 15 minutes. Like for no fuck's way, sake. Don't need to tell me this, mate. No, I know, I agree. Yeah, mate. Look, Brave New World is good, right? But I do. But yeah, but I think if you'd have told me in 2003. 20 years from now we'll still be going this is the band i would be like really that's fucking mental but back then only with bruce coming back after a little while the everything about it as a feel-good kind of storyline makes sense so look it's not my own personal that is what i'd like although it is um but i do think it's correct i do think it is correct to have picked iron maiden so iron maiden and dizzy rascal on the same day that'd be interesting wouldn't it um so lamb of god into dizzy rascal into hate breed into glass jaw into killing joke into anthrax into system of a down into iron maiden that is your saturday main stage lineup very, very nice. I've got to say, I Maiden is a great choice, to be fair, and it was good that they did that year because, again, that's a band that I know they did do Reading in 05, but, yeah, you, you want them to be there to establish that sort of thing. All that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's well, go. Yes. Let's, have, let's, have, let's have a little look at your, uh, your main stage on the Saturday then, Rich. So my openers, uh, we spoke about them once in the podcast already, and I'm still having them. Skindred. 
mate. We're going to get Brilliant. them on main stage. They're going to have a fucking party. I, I've never seen Skindred and thought, oh, yeah, they didn't really put the effort in there. That band is going to make everybody turn up and have a massive party. They've got Babylon out, so obviously, like, nobody has already come out. I don't think it's been on the Need for Speed soundtrack yet, so it probably hasn't disseminated as much as it could have. But fuck it, like, give that band... Basically, make them the, the, the house band of Downland. They could play every single year, and I'd go and watch them every single year because fuck me, it is sunshine and happiness and a big smile plastered on your face. It's it's the reliability. As somebody who is like you know a, a fucking massive Wild Arts fan, Wild Arts are the band that I hate to recommend to people. I'm like, yeah, come and see the Wild Arts. They might be fucking terrible, but Skin Dread, Skin Dread will always be great. Yeah, mate. I, I say no more. Say no more. People know what I think about Skin Dread. Done. Brilliant. Go. And my second band, A. Obviously kept them off the uh, kept them on the bill. Obviously I've taken them off the uh, the headlining spot that they were in. But I mean they've just released. It's a hi-fi series, isn't it? Hi-fi series. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hi-fi series. They've got nothing, which obviously is kind of their their opting on on new metal, which is a bit interesting. But you know they're a band in their ascendancy. I do think that they would have been a great sort of watch at that year's download and you you and i've both watched them together we had a lovely time i think you would have had a lovely time in 2003 doing the same every time yeah another band that i just love to see yeah great i love a so taking a bit of reliability uh next up i've gone for the distillers exactly the same reasons that you said mate they're going to roll the crowd up i want a bit of punk on my stage i want a bit of like energy brody Dahl. Fucking great. She's just going to whip people up into a frenzy. We're going to have a lovely time. Right. Yeah, mate, I think that'd be good. Be interesting to see them on the main stage. I mean, obviously, they did do the main stage the next year, which I've just discovered. Um, but yeah, that is, I mean, I thought to myself, like, whack him on the second and let him play a little bit more kind of raucous, intimate show. But I think those tunes. I think there is there that some punk bands you go oh, actually on a main stage does it work? I've seen Bad Religion on the main stage before. And it doesn't quite work. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I remember seeing Descendants in 1997 at Reading. Those songs just didn't really translate that well to to a big main stage. But I think bands like Rancid, bands like obviously like Green Day, obviously do. But like I think the Distillers sit more in that category where you think yeah these songs would work on a big stage definitely. I mean, especially if they're dropping a few off Coral Fang into the set list. If you're if you're playing like you know, beat uh, you know, oh shit, I'd better say beating Arts Baby, which is Head Automatica and not Raw. Yeah. Beat your heart out. That is it, isn't yeah. it? Beat your heart out, yeah. And Diana yeah. and fucking you know, there's just so many tracks on that. Basically, they can play that entire album, and everyone in the field is going to lose their mind, even though they've never heard that album. Which you know, mm-hmm. Jamie Lemon did it when he played there last year. He played every track off his new album, and it was great. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was brilliant. Like because sometimes the the songs just do all the communicating for you, don't you? It's like oh, you don't know any of these, but you're going to remember them. Yeah, it was fucking great. That was actually that was really really good. Um, yeah, man, good shout. I mean, obviously I picked them as well, so I would say that, wouldn't I? But I think objectively, I don't want to use that word. Great shout. Uh, who's next? Next up, a perfect circle. So obviously we've got an album. <laughs> you look. I can't believe I haven't picked a perfect circle. <laughs> so in October two thousand and three, they play Wembley with Deftones, which fuck me, what a gig. <laughs> and uh, they played the Astoria on their own, so they wouldn't have been like top of the bill. They wouldn't be towards the top of the bill, but I reckon early afternoon they'll put a fucking blinder of a, a quick, nice, happy setting. You know, you're going to have 
Judith, Magdalena, probably Pet by this point. I'm trying to think of what's on the second album that they would have maybe dropped in early because it's before the second album's released, I think, but only just. Yeah, well, knowing them, they wouldn't have played it. Well, knowing Maynard, they wouldn't have played any of it because they'd be like, don't want anyone hearing it until it's out. Yeah, they do love a bit of that. But yeah, so, you know, I'm saying perfect circle. Great. Yeah, I fucking cannot believe when you see my next main stage lineup, I cannot believe I didn't pick a perfect circle. What a dickhead. <laughs> so then I'm pick- I'm picking a band that we're going to strip away some of the context for where they're at now, but for who they were back then. Queens of the Stone Age. So 2003, this is, I believe, when Dave Grohl is drumming for them. I'm yep. just going to give you the set list from V Festival that they did play that year. Millionaire. Uh, secret, no, The Lost Art of Keeping a Secret. Do It Again. Go With the Flow. Song for the Dead. Song for the Death. Another Love Song. Feel Good Hit of the Summer. No One Knows. First It Giveth. Hanging Tree. Tension Head. Gonna Leave You. That's the fucking set list that they're bringing to the UK at that point. Mate, I'm... Yeah, I'm not going to say anything about Queens of Stone Age. Um, but yes, I agree. That would be good. Yes. I might I might, I might be bringing him up later, so I'm going to stay stum on that in a minute. But that that is a good shout. You know, and again, they've got Nick Oliverios, I think, still in the band at that point. So that's yeah. what you want. You want that punkish energy where this guy who's fucking played naked with the dwarves is going to come out and just absolutely rip the place up. So, yeah, top. 100%. Yeah. Good job. Uh, next one, No Date, I've gone for. Oh, that is a fucking sensational shout. Yeah. Uh, they've just released the compilation album, which basically really put them in people's minds again. And they'd also got a Talk Talk cover, It's My Life, which was Grammy nominated. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, you know what? Give, give Gwen a bit of fucking love, man. Like, And Gwen should be playing... Like download because you want to steal at least a couple of bands from Reading, and Reading didn't have no date that year for whatever fucking reason. I don't think no doubt I've ever played Reading, you know. Mm, really, that really surprised me. But yeah, so yeah, no date. I, I think again, like massive sing-alongs. Everyone's gonna have a lovely time, and you've just—it's kind of before the iPod has really given people that nostalgia hit. Because I think that is a massive thing as well about what happened with festivals is. We went from kind of having like, oh, do you remember this band to, oh, yeah, I've got my MP3 player, so I can just listen to this band whenever. And it's like, well, they've got this greatest hit compilation that's going to get people really sort of riled up for it. So, Yeah, man. Fuck me, yeah, that would have been great. That would have been fucking great. I think they did, was it that this year or the year before? They did Glastonbury, I remember. They did Glastonbury around this time. Um, And then they just went, and then obviously Gwen went off and made her excellent debut solo album, which you can hear us talking about on patreon.com forward slash true cop pop if you want to sign up for classic album about that but yeah man great what a fucking that's a fucking great shout that yeah uh and then i've gone for deftones i did stick with them so again they played wembley that year so this is kind of really deftones at the peak of their powers this is as big as they're ever going to get so i want to give them that place and just say here you go subheadlining so the subheadliner first year of download you know, new metals petering out, but Deftones have evolved past it long by that point. And obviously, like you know, self-titled album comes out, they just have a lovely time, and everyone loves them, and then they can go away and carry on with their careers as as they did. I don't think it would necessarily have been a massive boon to them, but you know, mm. 
Yeah, I didn't, obviously didn't see them uh, when they played the original download, so I, I don't know if they were good or not. But um, maybe they were. Maybe yeah. I mean, look, I saw I've, I've seen them so many times. I I would never turn down a chance to see Deftones. I just get frustrated watching the, the download because you know people who think David Draymond's a good singer go, oh, I don't think he's very good at vocals or some shit. So, but anyway, yeah, look, they're there and they deservedly are there, definitely. You're not going to like my headliner pick then if you're uh, bashing on David Draymond. No. No. Fucking corn, <laughs> mate. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> so, again, this is this is where I'm taking history down the correct trouser leg that it should have gone down. Corn mm. just released Untouchables. I say just released. They released it in 2002. But, so they released it a year before. It's their biggest album. It's the album that they fucking splurged literally millions on. They are still very much at, at the peak of their powers. But I think the problem is is that because Korn never got the call-up to be a headline band, they just ended up being the bridesmaid forever. You know, yeah. this is literally just before as well that they start tripping up with like, you know, Head leaves in 2005, David Silvera leaves in 2006. So like, this is more or less like your victory lap for classic Korn. And I think if they'd have had this shot in 2003, mate, they'd still be fucking doing it now. You know what I mean? Like, he wouldn't be like, oh, well, could Corn ever headline down? He would have been, yeah, the Corn are a headlining band. They'll do that. I thought about Corn and I thought about bumping them up as a headliner. But what put me off, and I've just checked it, silly of me. It's November 21st, 2003. So it's this year that Take a Look in the Mirror comes out. Now, Take a Look in the Mirror is absolutely the point where you, you like, I don't think it's a terrible record, but it's certainly like, okay, the, like you say, that peak has been hit and now we're into the law of diminishing returns to to to, to certain extents. Obviously, you know, like they've got very, very good albums in their back catalogue since then, but, you know, I don't think they ever kind of captured the imagination in the same way as they did on the kind of issues, Follow the Leader, Untouchables run. So, yeah, I, I probably should have checked when this album came out because now looking at it, I'm like, oh yeah, that was before that because I was thinking, I, you can't get corn to headline on. Oh, on album, yeah, but I think because of the fact that it comes out, it's November, isn't it? That it comes out, so yeah. you've got a, a few months. So they're going to play the, the big songs from the album. And the thing is, is, even with a sort of subpar album, they're still releasing fucking massive songs. Plus, also, I just want you to imagine the scene. First download, the crowd are standing waiting for the band to come on, and you start hearing the fucking riff to here um, to here to stay. That would be good. Like, fuck me, that would have. Like, so mad that. What? Mad that Corner and headlined a fucking UK festival. Absolutely mad. It's completely mad. Yeah, I, I, there was a festival that they were going to headline in Milton Keynes in the mid nineties, and Therapy headlined it instead, which is mental. It was like ninety six or ninety seven. It's in the book uh, that obviously Simon Young wrote, and I was like, "Fuck me, I, I didn't know. think not not the Ozfest um, ninety eight where Therapy stood in for Corn. They weren't headlining because they were below well, they were in second stage or something. No, 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 they were main stage. So it was Black Sabbath, Aussie, Foo Fighters, Therapy, and it would have been Corn. Um, they did also play. Uh, they did play one of the, I think the first festival they did in the UK and I'm pulling this up my, up my ass was the essential festival. I think it was called in Brighton in 1997 and they sub headlined. It wasn't a massive festival. It was a one day thing and they sub headlined shed seven. <laughs> wow. 
Wow. Happy days. But yeah, I, I just, yeah, yeah I, I feel like if they'd have had that download headline, then take a look in the mirror wouldn't have hurt them at all as much as it did. Because as you said, sure. they stumble. And the problem is, is if you stumble and you're not in an established place, it's like when you look at the careers of bands like, say, Bullet My Valentine or Tribune, and you kind of go, if they hadn't tripped over on their second albums, maybe they would have maintained mm. an ascendancy to keep going higher and higher. Yeah, ascendancy. So you did there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well there you go that's saturday seems like a pretty good saturday do you want to um just reel it off again rich just so people have it in their heads in skindred into a into the distillers into a perfect circle queens of the stone age no dates deftones and corn nice nice all right now look it's sunday this is my second stage on the sunday um my main stage, I'm going to say it right now, is not the heaviest, but I do think of Download more as a metal festival than a rock festival. So I have made up uh, for the fact that there are that it's not quite as heavy on the main stage by making a fucking heavy second stage, opening with a band who probably no one would have known about at the time, but went on to be a proper beloved band and a killer band, the Black Dahlia Murder. Nice. Released on ha- run on unhallowed at the start of the year, and it's a banger of an album. They are, you know, young as fuck, but they go on to be one of the best bands in their genre. Fucking full stop. And I just think, imagine getting up that early in the morning and being like, "Who are this band who have like opening this stage?" And the day after we've seen, you know, Maiden and fucking System of a Down and stuff, and then you start hearing like this fucking really wild technical aggressive like crazy like swinging death metal i think you'd just be like shit here we go day started again that's killer so yeah black dahlia murder right at the start get them in nice and again get them in early um have them open in the second stage you you fan of the black dahlia murder at all rich uh ish i, I like what they do more than the actual songs they're they're one that i find hard to grasp but i do really enjoy the impact that they've had on on extreme metal as a whole okay so black dahlia murder into norma jean again seeing norma jean with josh scoggin just after they'd released bless the mark kiss a child would have been cracking there's a fair bit on this lineup when you look at it when you look at that kind of second day and some of the kind of you know like stamping grounder there and murder one shadows fall and you know boy sets fire and you know there's the odd like kind of nod of like oh this kind of modern metalcore thing is gonna happen you know that it's starting to to pick up a little bit of traction and i think unfortunately they didn't pick the the very very best of those bands for this particular well i'm saying that i mean stamping ground are amazing boys at fire are amazing some of the other stuff like it's not really the same but anyway um but anyway yeah but for me norma jean are fucking wicked that album's fucking brilliant and never got to see him with josh you know he left straight off this record and they've been really good ever since then but like this would have been you know black dahlia crazy norma jean fucking crazy and then poison the well like poison the well are on a major label at this point and you come before you comes out it's not my favorite poison the well album but 
it is pretty it's pretty fucking great and you know it seems like an odd thing to think now but poison the well were people thought they were going to be the band that broke through from this scene kind of ahead of thursday ahead of maybe not the used but i think the used had quite a lot of you know kind of stuff behind it but like bands like finch and um and who i'm about to talk about in a second and sixth and you know like whoever else you can kind of chuck in norma jean like zao any of those bands right people really thought poison the well were gonna be fucking massive and you know obviously it didn't happen but they are a band who i fucking love i absolutely love poison the well i think they're brilliant i think they are one of the best bands from that era and they should have been huge they should like if when you look at bands who play you know a, a far far inferior type of music that is just basically the principles of what poison the well do it drives me nuts that poison the well is just gone it sucks so poison norma jean black dahlia into norma jean into poison the well brutal start to the day Nah, he's a hell of a lineup, and that feels like. I mean, who would have been doing like Warp Tour at this point? Because that feels like the kind of thing you might have seen on like the second stage of Warp Tour, which was is a cool thing to have, really. Yeah, so I guess like bands like The Bled, I guess the Under Oath would have been around around that point as well. Uh, Unearth would just come, would kind of come through at that point. Darkest Hour, I think, would just sign to victory um yeah yeah you know like there was a lot of like god forbid as well were kind of about that kind of thing was all happening um but for me poison the well kind of predate all of them and you know like there's a lot of those bands where you think like well grade and shy halud and stuff but poison the well were like on a major label for this record it's nuts it's fucking nuts it's the perfect time for them absolutely the perfect time i think you needed to have that uh and then the Dillinger Escape Plan. They were always going to be there. A year ago, they'd released Irony is Dead Scene and Greg had done the thing that Greg did at Reading Festival. So I can't imagine you wouldn't get just a load of casuals being like, oh, it's that band who are fucking mental. Um, do I even need to explain why you'd want Dillinger Escape Plan playing live at your festival? Do I even need to explain that? I mean, of course, of course you want the Dillinger Escape Plan. Like, it would be the best set of the entire weekend. They were the best fucking live band. They would kill it. I mean, it just gets more and more and more intense. And Dillinger are like pretty much the fucking the end point of that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it would have to happen. Nah, no disagreements here. Uh, we uh, <laughs> sneak but preview behind the curtain, but we spoke to the Cavaliers recently and said, like, you know, what were the wildest bands that you ever toured with? And Max was like, Dillinger Escape Plan, hands down. Like, he said, they were just like, he said, partially a liability because you never knew what they were going to smash next, but fuck me, they're great. Yeah, of course. Um, Subheadlining the second stage, Kill Switch Engage. Nice, yeah. I mean, Alive and Just Breathing's come out and they would obviously go on to be a very, very important band and a very, very important part of this festival. You know, you are... I'm I'm curating, I guess, what I wanted 
that kind of metalcore hardcore scene to be here because again like you know when i look at it and i go oh you know like chimera were good you know i guess they kind of straddle that line between that there are bands like you know i considered bands like 36 crazy fists so i think are good and stuff you know and those bands went on to kind of play download quite a lot but for me you know and i guess like black dahlia did as well but like we had a few years where dillinger was seen as weird poison the well and norma jean just sort of disappear and Black Dahlia, it's a long old road for them. Killswitch are the one kind of exception to the rule where you go like, well, yeah, they actually did go and do the thing. So I think there's a lot of excitement around Killswitch Engage. And within, you know, 18 months or so, they've got the end of Heartache out. And you've got Howard on this tour, uh, you know, like having just joined. And the excitement around them was was massive it, it was massive the, the kind of hype and excitement around Killswitch at this time wasn't it I don't know if you remember that time particularly Rich I, I remember when Howard joined it was massive my, my recollection was that Jesse had a much more muted he took a long time for Jesse's kind of uh, it, basically him leaving the band made people go oh shit that was a really good sort, sort of uh, record and then afterwards it was like oh, okay Howard's here now and Howard's gonna take them to another level and obviously that's kind of what Jesse has said over the years as well he's like you know he's mm thankful to Hayward because the band could have just disappeared but he helped yeah the, the reputation but yeah it's a, a fucking stellar shout so that's the kind of like here is a load of very very heavy very unique you know very modern very young bands and the headliner I wanted somebody established uh who was super established at that point so I have gone for Rob Zombie very nice okay yeah because house of a thousand corpses finally comes out at the end of this year right uh something that rob zombie has obviously been working on for a long fucking time and i think you know you got a bit of downtime you know because the, 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 the film's finished i think it finished a couple of years before so why not come and headline the second stage and you might go well would rob zombie want to go and headline the second stage well he does have previous to this because if you look a couple of years down the line he goes onto the second stage at Ozfest in the car park you know he turns down the main stage and does a kind of stripped down version of his show um it's also worth pointing out that we here in the UK went a long time without Rob Zombie shows like he he comes over a, a lot more now than he used to but when Hellbilly Deluxe came out he came over once I believe with Backyard Babies and Monster Magnet in support and played the Astoria. Wow. What a lineup, mate. That, that is like my dream, like fever dream lineup. That's the kind of thing yeah. that when I'm fucking out my brain on the. Uh, yeah. 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 And at like 98, he played that and then he didn't come back until I think it was like 2009 or 10. Like it was a long fucking time, a long time between rob zombie uk shows so he hadn't played the uk in five years at this point he's gonna go and he, he's open about how much he likes playing the kind of the the, the second stages and stuff it, you know get him over it makes sense so my sunday second stage black dahlia murder followed by norma jean followed by poison the well followed by the dillinger escape plan followed by kill switch engage followed by rob zombie You'd have a good time there, wouldn't you? Oh, yes. <laughs> I wish I'd done Rob Zombie. That's a great shit. I've not, yeah. again, like, incredible. And he's built for second stage headline sets because he makes it feel like a genuine alternative to the headliner, which is what the second stage should be. It should be a genuine, if you don't like this, try this. Yeah, 
for sure. Um, anyway, Rich, your second stage on the Sunday. Hit me with it. Yeah, we've got to blow off some hangovers on the uh, Sunday morning. So I'm going with a, a nice gentle start to the day. Andrew WK. Oh, 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 lovely stuff. When it's time to party, we will party hard. Like, fuck me, that would be just great. I mean, like, yeah, you saw me headbanging to Andrew WK a few weeks back. I, I go for it. And this is before he releases the second album that kind of, he, he diverts away from kind of being just a living meme with his second album. But this this set would be three, four months before that. So you can come out. He plays the I Get Wet stuff. It's, it's a fucking great start to the day. And obviously, I don't think he would have been too big at that point either. So it's just a nice... Yeah, no, he would have massively dropped off because there was like a lot of hype and then suddenly it just fucking vanished. So, um, yeah, second stage. Yeah, man, fuck me. That would be awesome. Yeah, so my second pick is one for me. It's for me and no one else. And I don't give a shit if no one turned up because I'd have a lovely time. I don't know if you know them, the band Jay of the Cat. I know your feelings on a US ska punk, but I, I, I just want to say Jay of the Cat are fucking unbelievable they're, they're more reggae than ska and they, they would have released their second album by this point which is first new beer of, no first beer of a new day it is a fucking amazing party record that's just full of massive songs sing-alongs little bit of like hip-hop elements and stuff it would just be a very different vision for the kind of bands that could do download and it fits in kind of with the skater stuff yeah I don't, uh, you've mentioned them to me before, I think, but I still don't think I've listened to them. So that has reminded me to listen to them. Okay, good. Interesting. It's, it's essentially the apology for the likes of Less Than Jake and Real Big Fish. It's like, here's what real sort of ska punk should sound like. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Okay, good chat. Yeah, interesting. Then I, I'm going for another band that actually did play Download that year because I think these bands do deserve their little legs up. Uh, in me. I'm going, Overgrown Eden has come out. I think they're, they're a great little band, man. And like they're the kind of band that needed download, that needed that space to come out and play to audiences that could really receive them in the way that they deserved. I think the album did quite well as well. As a record, it did go charts. So. Yeah, they were front cover Kerrang! before it even came out, I think. You know, like they, 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 they went big on that, on that band back in the day. And I've seen him be quite a few times, and like you know, Dave McPherson's got an incredible voice. He's a real sort of presence on the stage. So, yeah, I think that would have been a nice, a nice sort of uh, metallic addition to the uh, to okay. the. Line. So far, I had a bit of party vibe. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good chat. That I forgot about them. Yeah, uh, my next one, Arch Enemy again, keeping a band from the original lineup. Uh, like you know, they've released this fantastic album obviously which is anthems of rebellion uh, actually it hasn't even come out yet i think it's about it's due out in about four weeks after that but obviously angela gozzo is really tearing away up the scene and becoming kind of a, a well-known figure plus if you don't have an uh arch enemy play then you don't get a svalbard because serena cherry once told us that uh she was inspired to be a musician by the first uh download seeing arch enemy for the first time so 
Ah, right, okay. Oh, yeah, mate. Well, then that's justification enough, I think, isn't it? <laughs> that's it. I've got to make sure that that stays just so I can get Svalbard records. Uh... <laughs> yeah, you got... Although you have bumped them up the bill, so now you've got to do some sort of Back to the Future thing to make sure you get there. So you've got to get Serena to see them at that point. Otherwise, if she's like, oh, I don't know this band, I want to go and watch whoever's on the main stage, that might fuck it. So, and and yeah. this is where I, I lose the plot completely because I've gone, right, what bands should be doing download in 2003 with hindsight? And I'm interested to get your take on this, mate. Avril Lavigne, let go of the mate. She's fucking topping the charts. You've got this kind of punk skater thing going on. People are going to have a fucking lovely time to it, aren't they? And plus, someone always needs to get bottled at download. So if it does go poorly, at least you've got that. Mate, I thought Dizzy Rascal was a fucking wild pick, but Avril Lavigne weirdly feels like an even wilder one. Um, the the problem with Avril Lavigne is is that Kerrang never covered her, right? Or did did they? I think they might have reviewed her live once, but they didn't really go in hard on Avril Lavigne, and I think that would make people skeptical. With Dizzy Rascal, right? So I think the difference is with Dizzy Rascal, you just go. Oh, yeah, they're picking something completely different. But with Avril Lavigne, it's like, hold on, you're saying that she's rock and she's not. And I reckon it would, I think it would, it's a, you're right, because she was massive, fucking massive. And that album was everywhere. And you've maybe even underplayed by putting her as like sub headline in the second stage. You've maybe even underplayed just quite how big she was, right? She could arguably be kind of halfway up you know, the fucking main stage, really, in terms of, like, pure record sales. But, yeah, I mean, it's a fucking brave pick, mate. I think it's uh, maybe even a braver pick than me going to Dizzy Rascal or a grime lad with no album out go out and play in between Hatebreed and Lamb of God. <laughs> All I'm saying is I want to sing some Arch Enemy songs and then I want to be fucking there singing Skater Boy, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's just yeah. a inside. <laughs> oh, Rich. Rich, why'd you have to go and make things so complicated? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> that was a good shout. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm. Uh, I'm into it. The the reason that she's sub headlining now is because she's there to prime audiences for the headliner. So as we discussed with Descendants, you can't just drop, you know, a pop punk or a punk band into the middle of a lineup and expect them to thrive because everyone will just fucking disappear. So you have Avril Lavigne. After Avril Lavigne, I've gone for one. I don't think you'll appreciate it as such, but. Blink-182, we're stealing them from Reading. We're saying, we'll give you a headline set. Uh, I'm not going to say who my main headliner is, but they're an alternative to my main headliner. So they're a more recent band. They've got a self-titled album coming up, uh, which is in November of that year. And they're just going to be a fun pop-punk sort of thing. And the thing is, if you've got... In 2003, you've got to have at least one pop-punk band on the lineup, haven't you, really? You've got, like, Sub 41 are exploding, Bowling for Soup. If you're going to pick one of those bands, you've got to have the fucking big one, haven't you, really? The one that's kind of took over everyone else. You know, Green Day haven't released American Idiot yet, so they're still kind of just teetering at a level. And yeah, I think Blink-182 is the shape. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, they're pretty fucking, it's a pretty big second stage headliner because they were still, take take off your pants and jacket, they're massive and they're doing arenas around this point. They, they, they sub-headlined to, who was it they sub-headlined? Oh, Lincoln Park. They sub-headlined to Lincoln Park at Reading. 
that's that's what they yeah, do. Yeah, man, that's pretty big. Yeah, it's pretty big. But mate, yeah, well, I guess we're gonna need to get Andy Coppin to buy a bigger marquee because this is in, in a tent back then. So yeah, fine. All right, cool. Um, yeah, man, that's an eclectic mix. Go on, run it. Talk us through it again, really quickly. That is Andrew WK, Jay of the Cat, In Me, Arch Enemy, Avril Lavigne, and Blink <laughs> You want to be Michael Amott in that fucking backstage area, don't you? Surrounded by, like, <laughs> Avril Lavigne, Andrew WK, and Mark Hoppers. <laughs> like, where the fuck am I? He's just a boy. She's just a girl. Yeah, Any more obvious? <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to my main stage on the Sunday. The only other band other than Iron Maiden that I have kept from the original download uh, lineup uh, is opening my main stage, The Darkness. I cannot justify not having The Darkness on this bill. There is absolutely no justification for not having this band who were about to explode with such, in in such a mind-blowing way. You have to have The Darkness, surely. You have to have The Darkness on that main stage and open that main stage with those songs fuck me man i mean it just doesn't even it, it it doesn't even warrant a kind of explanation really it's just so obvious it's just so obvious I, i'm just gonna say i've had them as well in exactly the same spot <laughs> okay fine yeah. good because yeah, looking at the history of Daylight, that is one of the first bands to have a proper apotheosis there, where they go from just being hotly tipped to being like, holy shit, this band is on the tear. Everyone's going to know who they are in 12 months' time. He's on the, it's, it's a forgotten one on par with like trivia, basically, no yeah. fight, where it's just like, we've given you this slot. What are you going to do with it? Oh my God, you've just turned into the, one of the biggest rock bands like going at the moment. So, fair play. So we've both got the darkness. Um, maybe you might have predicted that. Uh, did you predict that I would also be inviting Travis Barker and Tom DeLonge to my festival? No, I did not. Not in any way, shape or form. And it's second on the uh, main. With Boxcar Racer. Ah, interesting. So been off Blink-182, right? And I believe at this point they were in the studio recording that self-titled album but we just had boxcar racer who never played the uk right and i understand that blink 182 are their bigger artists obviously of course they are but i would say to him like you know you, you you're never gonna do this band ever again ever again because here we are 20 years later plus since that album came out and they've never done it again. They've never even kind of considered doing it again. Make the most of it. Make the most of it. Come to Donington, play those songs, and maybe, and my thinking also was that as much as I don't like Blink-182, for download's sake, you want them to be able to headline. So maybe they come and they have a lovely time and they go, yeah, all right, I'll tell you what, we will headline the main stage and make things like slightly easier for you one day. So yeah, I, I and I think... I've got they they they'd be able to bring a special guest out, which I'll talk to talk about in a minute as well. And um, yeah, I actually think that you know that album is really good, and I I would like to have seen them. No, yeah, fair play, mate. Okay, 
another band who kind of vanished from view quite soon after this, but we're on the sort of precipice of maybe becoming big and then maybe not. And I don't know how well they'd have gone down at download. But and you were nursed by the trailer dead. So Source Tag and Codes come out the year before and obviously got that 10 in pitchfork and they're on the front cover of the enemy but also they were embraced by Kerrang as well and I just think that stuff was never going to stick around for that band and it maybe made rock fans a little bit more skeptical about them because they're a fucking you know like they're just they're one of my all-time most underrated bands ever trailer dead I just think they're fucking incredible and I don't think they would ever have had a better chance to grab the rock fans than this particular period and they never did it again and i think you know if you've seen particularly back then i remember seeing them back then and they were brilliantly chaotic live and i think they could have turned up and won a lot of people over with those songs from like madonna and source tags or codes if it was all stuff from that because you know they then go you know four years without an album and just sort of vanish really um and go back underground which is fine but i would you know them on that big stage in front of people who want kind of loud nasty heavy music i don't think they're ever really suited to the enemy crowd and they are a bit more bookish looking than your average kind of alternative rock band yes but trailer dead man what a band yeah nice yeah great shit and as you say you want to take them away from the sort of reading and leads enemy crowds and put them in front of a rock audience that's going to properly appreciate them yeah i think that's what you want man that is what you want um i know you'll appreciate my next pick rich i know you will it's the wild arts it's absolutely mad to me that a reformed wild hearts who have just released the wild Arts must be destroyed didn't play at the original download it's absolutely mad to me full of bangers that album you know vanilla radio made them kind of people were like oh they're back and they're actually they're really back and they're just so it's so clearly the kind of the right environment for the wild arts at that point and you know again like they are one of the one of the few bands when i say like oh they never got their big kind of uk festival moment the wild arts are one of the few bands who played a lot of uk festivals over the years you know a lot of big uk festivals over the years but i just think that would have been a proper like first time back at donington park this new festival look the wild arts are back and like you say like they can be hit and miss but if they turned up and they were up for it with it's just an inescapably brilliant bulletproof set list unquestionably no brainer no comment (laughs) i had a a funny feeling i had a funny feeling um how do you follow the britain's most joyously anthemic rock band you pick america's most joyously anthemic punk band a band who this was just for andy coppin's sake just so i don't keep ear rolling him Rancid have never played. How did I know that as soon as you were there, like, yeah. <laughs> Rancid have never played Download and they're gearing up to release Indestructible, like big fucking comeback album, obviously. Um, again, like, it blows my fucking mind. And I've spoken to Lars Fredrickson, obviously, and I said to him, I was like, Andy, Co-, I even said to him, I was like, Andy Coppin tells me he asks you, 
you know, will you play download pretty much every year? Why do you keep turning download down? And last week was like, uh, oh, I don't know. Like, we you know, we've, we've all got different bands. We've all got different things going on. And I don't really know. And, and I kind of didn't really remember. <laughs> but I was like, I'm sorry. I just, I just really, really annoy Andy Coppin because I ask him every time I see him, why haven't you put Rancid? Why haven't you put Rancid every single time I see him? And he's like, he's like, I ask him. I keep asking him. Um, but this first time, they're saying yes in this fantasy world it all comes together and they all say yes and i don't have to bother andy coppin and also rancid play download which would be fucking brilliant because man rancid outdoors at festivals is just the best it's just the fucking best i mean i think i've said this to you in the past but i reckon the reason they don't do download is because when you can do rebellion and you can do a lineup that is literally geared to your fans like every single person that likes rancid he's going to have a lovely time at a rancid curated you know punk festival so i think that's why so i reckon if you book them for 2003 they'd probably say yes because i believe at that point holidays in the sun as it was known then uh is only very much in its infancy so he wouldn't have really been in in the market for those kind of bands yeah that's probably true and you know like they've done reading a bunch of times they've done the main stage at reading and seeing them you know like you know i saw them playing with you know beastie boys and money mark and jurassic five and you know obviously very different bands to the band that rancid are um so you know it just fucking makes sense to me man it just makes sense and um following them you've already spoken about them rich queens of stone age Again, doesn't take much working out, really. Nick Olivieri, like you said, I basically would echo everything that you said. I mean, it seems mad to me that we had to wait until, what was it, 2012? Until we got a kind of pale, disinterested version of Queens of Stone Age at Donington. Um, and looking back at that, you are like, considering they are one of the biggest rock bands of the millennium, I'd say probably one of the biggest guitar bands of the millennium. It seems pretty fucking mad to me that we've only ever had them at download once and it was that kind of fairly disinterested set that they did prior to Iron Maiden. Um, you know, disinterested from them and the audience, really. Uh, like you say, get Nick of Leary out and do that set list that you mentioned. <sighs> I mean, this is, I mean, they're very much a band of their parts, I think. Well, depending on who is in the band depends on the kind of set that you're going to get from them and stuff. And when you've got Nick Oliveri in the band, you know, you're going to get that punky, wild yeah. And then after that, obviously, like different members bring different things. But yeah, which obviously. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I saw them at the main stage at Reading in 2001. They were fucking unbelievable. That was the first time, well, the second time I saw them. So good. And I want that at download. Um, my sub headliners, ladies and gentlemen, Juanes Adiccione. Strays had come out that year. And, you know, uh, I think, you know, they were they were subbing um or maybe third on the bill at Reading in two thousand and two. And it felt like maybe the more kind of indie crowd that were there for the strokes or whatever, um, maybe weren't as sort of familiar with them or weren't as interested in them. But I think Download in 2003, particularly at that time, particularly, like I say, when Strays come out and, you know, Just Because was a really, really big song. Uh, you know, they I saw them live back then. They were fucking killer. I obviously absolutely love them. I think they would have been brilliant 
back then. I think that would have been a really, really amazing thing. I know they've only done download once and it was a second stage headline in the fucking the worst rain ever. So bad that I just like, I can't handle it. I've got to go. Um, I thought they were amazing. I didn't watch it, man. I didn't watch it. I just, I went, I was like, I can't stay here anymore. So yeah, I was gutted. I was fucking gutted because it was just, I just couldn't handle the weather. Uh, just to, just a throw back to one of your old podcasts where I believe you've done a special on nothing shocking, I believe. Ritual de la Habitual, it was. Was it Ritual de la Habitual? Because I, I brought nothing shocking and I thought I brought it off uh, your recommendation. So I would recommend it to you, but we definitely did ritual, yeah, as the as the maybe yeah. ritual and I just kind of went on to nothing shocking then. But yeah, yeah. I bought that literally probably about two months before I went to see them, so then watched them and it was just like pure on the floor the whole time, just like fuck this band, man. Like, it's so good. Yeah, they're incredible. And they would yeah, would have been brilliant. I mean, imagine like, you know, Queens of Stone Age into James Addiction into my headliner. Nine inch nails now nice we've done we've done this on our fragile special nine inch nails were ultimately still on the fragile cycle i mean they weren't um but nine inch nails is a difficult time for nine inch nails if you go on nine inch nails wikipedia there is no 2003 it goes to 2002 2004 there is no 2003 for nine inch nails right and that is because trent reznor was pretty messed up he was going through legal battles with his manager um, in, in court and stuff. Um, very, very acrimonious departure from, and kind of split between them. He was suffering quite badly with drugs and alcohol and substance abuse. He was on a lot of mental battles. And I want to take that into account and be as sort of sensitive about it as possible. But one gig gotta say trent no offense but you owe us one gig after the lost weekend debacle back in the year 2000 you kind of owe us a gig one massive gig and i do think one massive gig would have done the world of good within a couple of months they go into the studio and they start writing with teeth and then they're back and they've never you know they've never gone away in the same way they have gone away they've you know they've had their hiatus and stuff they are bigger than Audio Slave were back then. Yeah. You could go, oh, are they as big as Maiden? Would they be as big as this? Like, again, it's like Corn. Nine Inch Nails should have fucking headlined a UK festival. They should have headlined a UK festival. Oh, how hard to agree with you on that. And I did think as soon as you said, I was like, fuck, yeah, that's a Corn shape. That is a, yeah, this band should have done this and it would have cemented them at level. Yeah, I absolutely think that is the thing. And imagine what they were playing i mean again we've gone through the fucking the fragile set list back in the day when we did the special on the fragile but those set lists are outrageous they are outrageous i just think not ever having nine inch nails headline the uk festival is robbing us of one of the fucking best headline sets you could ever possibly imagine so there you go the darkness boxcar racer and you're nursed by the trailer dead the wild hearts rancid queens of stone age james addiction nine inch nails that is my download 2003 in a wrap there you go very very nice nice so go on rich what have you got to compete with that so obviously kicking it off with the darkness as we've said so don't really yep. 
go any more than this as i say it's an apotheosis for that band and it's it's the proof that download is a place for for these bands to thrive and explode next up i, I really flip-flopped on this one i've gone for cradle of filth right yeah. I, I want cradle of filth because i want some extreme metal I, i've very much neglected the extreme metal in the list because i was thinking like oh napalm death and stuff and i'm kind of looking at the albums that are on and i'm like they're good albums but i think time waits for no slave was kind of the renaissance for napalm death so not picking them um i, I also thought dimmy borgia who begged to release puritanical misanthropia no puritanical euphoric misanthropia there we go uh, which obviously progenies of the Great Apocalypse, which really fucking moves the goalposts so far as extreme metal can sound and look, the scale of it. But they don't release that for another six months, so still very much a little black metal band. Cradle of Filth, though, have got Midian, and they've got Damnation yeah. in the day. And I'm like, yeah, fair fucking play. Damn. Danny Filth is going to come out, he's going to absolutely smash it, and then, you know, 12 months later, they're going to release an Infetamine and really, really take off for their career. So... You know. Yeah, the interesting thing about Cradle of Filth is, is that they actually did play, they played the main stage of the Ozfest the year before, and it wasn't the best weather that day, but that particular time, it fucking shat it down like you would not believe, and there was like lightning and thunder, it was like fucking hellstones and stuff, and then Cradle of Filth went off and they just it just stopped, and I, could, I only watched like 15 minutes of it, because I was like, oh fuck this weather, but yeah, it was mad, and I did think to myself, like this is so suitable for them as a band but it's also really robbing them of the chance to kind of play to casuals mm. yeah so be good to to kind of to write that wrong i think rich so that's good yeah yeah i feel like this is the point as well where they've still got like the axle grinders on stage and stuff so they will be putting a bit of theatricality in which you want for the early stage players you don't want it to just be a bunch of bands coming in and playing good songs that's nice but a bit of theatricality and a bit of production goes a long way as Absolutely. A show. Uh, so next up, here we go. Wild Arts. Yes, uh, I could not not have the Wild Arts on that album. It is probably my favourite Wild Arts album. I flip flop between it and the White Album. Those two are absolutely my top two Wild Arts albums. I am wow. Yeah, I love the '90s stuff, but mate, the fucking 2000s like Renaissance was unbelievable. The only problem being that the Wild Arts have obviously always been their own worst enemy uh, throughout their careers. They like it. Obviously, Danny comes back into the band very briefly in 2003. There's an infamous incident where he fell asleep on stage at JB's in Dudley, and the support band's bassist had to go up and play while he just lay on the stage fast asleep. So this is the level that they're at, which is a real fucking shame because they're also so creatively potent that, like, you know, Must Be Destroyed is an amazing album, but have you ever listened to the B-Sides collection coupled with? No. So, Stormy in the North, Karma in the South, OCD, Let's Go, Action Panzer, Dancing. Honestly, it's better than most bands' fucking careers and it's a B-Sides collection. That is the level yeah. of creative potency that the Wild Arts have at download. And, you know, the hope is that they will put on an absolute fucking blinder of a set. So, yeah, I have. Well, mate, I was going to say, I totally agree. I mean, obviously I picked them. So, yeah, of course, I, I, I completely agree. And you're a much bigger fan than me. So I figured we might have the same one there. Yeah. So my next band on the list is a band who's actually on the way out. It's probably one of the last times that he plays internationally. Rollins Band toured in 2003. Uh, 
it's the Mother Superior lineup of the band, which I really like the Mother Superior lineup. It's got a real old rock and roll groove. But when they toured in 2003, it was a black flag set, entirely black flag. So they opened with Rise Again, Rise Above, and then just fucking went from there. So, oh, that's because they did the West Memphis Three tribute album, which is absolutely fucking amazing, incredible. I think I spoke about it before, but like, if you haven't heard it, there is a West Memphis Three, um, not tribute, kind of benefit uh, album with Corey Taylor, Jeff from Poison the Well, Lemmy, Tom Morea, Ice T. Oh fuck me, who else? Chuck D, um, Nick uh, Olivieri. Um, uh, Lars and Tim from Rams. It's uh, Casey Chaos from Amen. It's fucking amazing. Keith Morris is on it as well. And it's just the Rollins band doing Black Flag songs. Fuck it. It's maybe the best black thing related to Black Flag. Maybe. Um, it's just so good. I do wonder if that's what broke the camel's back for Henry Rollins, really. That he'd done two albums with the Mother Superior on it, which is Get Up and. Is it Get Up and Go? You know, Get Some Go Again and Nice. Nice is a fucking amazing album. Get Some Go Again, not so much. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but obviously, I think he, he kind of got sick of being mauled and then he came around and did a tour with his old songs and just was like, oh, fuck you. Then if this is all you want, I've got no interest in being in this industry anymore. But I would have loved to have seen it. I absolutely would have had the place up. Oh, yeah, I did. That was a great shout out. Fuck me. Right. Uh, stick, sticking in our punk territories, it's a very punky day, really. Um, but I've gone for Iggy and the Stooges. So nice. November that year, Iggy Pop releases School Ring, which is an underrated fucking classic in his canon. It is a combination of his work with the Trolls, which is his solo band. His work with the Stooges, who he brought back for the first time in nearly forty years. And he also does duets with Green Day, with Some 41, with Peaches of all people. Uh, so he's literally like Iggy Pop kind of making himself relevant again. And it's the first time that the Stooges would have played since the 70s in the UK. So I'm having Iggy and the Stooges. Mm, yeah, great album, that. Fucking very, very good. Uh, yeah, man, that's a great shout. And they would play the next year. And it was that infamous, like, you know, him getting everyone on stage and it being mental. That was, yeah, with the Sto- yeah, like you say, with the Stooges, a fucking... Brilliant. Very good. Yeah, and yeah. Iggy just doesn't put on a bad show. Iggy doesn't sort of like, he doesn't half arse it. He will come out and absolutely tear the place to pieces, as you say, mm-hmm. inviting people on stage, jumping around. When I saw him at Reading in 05, I remember he cut himself on the stage and was just covered in blood. By the time he got off the stage, it was like, fucking hell. So, yeah, top bloody. And then we go completely in a different direction. I've gone for another sort of wild card pick. I've gone Nickelback. Oh, so keeping it punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rollins band and Nickelback, fucking hell. <laughs> I do love a bit of anarchy, Matt. Uh, yeah, I, I had to sort of correct the, the tone i think and so you want somebody that's on the kind of hard rock metal uh level nickelback at this point have done silver side up which obviously was a uk top well he was a chart top on it and then i believe so was the follow-up album which is the long road at this point they are touring and covering metallica in their sets they were doing sad but true they were also doing five minutes alone in their sets as a tribute to Pantera. So, you know, they're going to bring a pretty metal set list. And it's pretty much the one time that you do want Nickelback at download. It's like, well, they're going to come. They're going to play a bunch of songs that everyone knows. 
and everyone's going to have been hearing on the radio. And again, this isn't a band that's ever going to play Reading. So they're not going to be booked for Reading, but Download could have gone. So, you know. They could have done back then, couldn't they? Yeah, they they, they definitely could have done. I mean, the kind of the the backlash against Nickelback was so fucking harsh back then. Mm. Um, them and the Rasmus, wasn't it? I mean, Avril Lavigne, between the Avril Lavigne, Daphne and Celeste, Nickelback and the Rasmus, uh, I don't think there's ever been more bile spat by a bunch of music fans that I can even imagine. But like, I, 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 the proof would be in the pudding and fucking shit loads of people would have turned up to watch that. No doubt about it at all. Well, this is it, isn't it? And you've got to have at least a few bands that are going to be a controversial choice, but go down however they go down. And the thing is, is I saw them on that tour. So this was like the second gig that I ever went to was Nickelback on the Long Road Tour. And I thought they were fucking brilliant. Like they were so energetic and so sort of into it. And, you know, Chad Kroger has never made a secret of the fact that he loves metal. So as I say, they're, they're in a metallic cover and he doesn't feel like, oh, they're trying to win over the metal fans. He's like, no, no, this guy like hangs out with the Abbott brothers and he's just going to play a Pantera song. So mm. there you go. Mm. Uh, Sub-headliner then, I- I'm keeping Audio Slave on the list. I, I think, again, you know, this, this massive album, uh, it's it's the unification of Soundgarden and Rage Against the Machine, and fuck me, like, I wish I'd seen it. I, it, it yeah. Genuinely, it's one of the bands that haunts me that I'll never get to see live. I'm very lucky that I saw Chris Cornell playing a lot of Audio Slave stuff when he toured in 2007 with an electric band. He's playing like Coach I, Show Me How to Live, What You Are, you know, dropping quite a few of those tunes. So I reckon, you know, I'm keeping that on the list. And it's more or less the spot that they were in, obviously, before they got bumped up because of Limp Biscuit. Yeah, I think that would be beneficial to them as well because I think one album and, you know, and a kind of a headline slot that they didn't, I guess, ask for. Um, particularly when you look what they were surrounded by. I mean, again, we've sort of spoken about it, and that second day is, you know, when you go from like Maiden, Manson, Deftones, Ministry to Audio Slaves, One, Flint, and Apocalyptica, it's not the same, is it? So I think it would have been good for them to be a song. I don't think they were ready, and I think they probably didn't want a fucking headline at that point anyway. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so that's my, that's my sub headliner. My headliner then, I'm going for ACDC. I want a classic band. Uh, I want a classic band. They were touring. It's they literally they go away at the end of two thousand and three. They play the Hammersmith Apollo in October, and then they don't play again for five years. So this is kind of ACDC basically walking off with nothing. Oh, and so, yeah, that, oh, be good, and is there a band that, that other than like say like Slipknot name? Is there a band that is more intrinsically linked to Donington than ACDC? You know, yeah, it's true. ACDC Live Twenty Ninety One is is the album, isn't it? So, mm. you know, Ma- Maiden. I think like Maiden, Slipknot, ACDC. Are the, they're the they're the three, aren't they? I mean, yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I would. I have think. Been. I think they did, did. Was it the year that year or the year before that they did? It was. It was no. It was two years before they did that Milton Keynes Bowl show. On the Stiff Upper Lip tour uh, with Offspring, Megadeth, and Queens of Stone Age. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, obviously, I would have been too young. I'd have been 10. Okay. 
So, yeah, unfortunately would have missed that one. But I remember I, I got into ACDC, so it would have been around 2003, and I got into them, and then it was like, ah, oh, I hope I get to see ACDC someday, and they just didn't talk for five years, which obviously when you're, like, you know, in your teen years, you think, that's it, I'm never going to fucking see this band, they're just gone. But, yeah, I'd, I'd stick them headlining at, at Download, first ever Download. I think that's your classic throwback covered, and, yeah. Mm. It's a legendary potential performance. Fuck me, mate. You got Metallica and ACDC. They go mad for that on Facebook. They go fucking mad. Imagine if down they got ACDC and Metallica the same weekend. I just fucking violently the festival before it even began. Fucking hell. But, mate, killer. So, go on. Just give us everyone a little recap of your final. That is The Darkness, Cradle of Filth. Wild Hearts, Rollins Band playing Black Flag, uh, Iggy and the Stooges, uh, Nickelback, Audio Slave, ACDC. That's good, that. That is good. And you can see now where the Nickelback thing comes in as well, because I'm like, who can I get to get us back on the rock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking hell. I think even I might vote vote for that when it comes to vote. So there you go. Um, That is the rebooked download 2003 is it better than the original download that's not for us to say is it? that's for you to say is my lineup better is rich's lineup better i think you can fucking pulled it out of the bag at the last minute there when you were saying avril lavigne and nickelbacker was like oh he's wavering but <laughs> but you've definitely pulled it he definitely pulled it back at the last minute um mate enjoy the festival i um as i said to you before little pete monica and you I was thinking about maybe trying to come up on the Saturday just to watch Greg Pichato, Metallica and Placebo and Clutch and Code and Cambria and some of the other things. It's a good lineup. Um, I'm not, you know, it's probably unlikely that I'm going to be able to get up there this year, I would say. But you have a lovely time, Rich, and it's a shame I won't be bumping into you, mate. Yeah, it really is, mate. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a brilliant weekend. As I say, there's just so many bands. It's one of those where every time someone asks me who I'm going to be most excited about seeing, I just don't have an answer because there's so many i'm just like well soul glow uh green lung uh yeah. fucking hell it's just yeah epica carpenter um, brute i we were going to watch carpenter brute but i think they clash with the end of who is subhead who's like second stage headliner it's really fucking frustrating for this year's download because they've got rid of all of the alternatives for the headliners so it's like if you don't like the headliners that's it, you just gotta go out because there's no one else on. Yeah, uh, yeah. They do do that. Anyway, well, I don't know who the Carpenter Brute are clashing with, but um I would go and watch that maybe. Uh anyway, um mate, cheers for coming on as well. Appreciate it. Goodness. Yeah, Hope you had a nice time. It's been good. It's been a bit longer than I thought it was gonna be, but that's all right. We like to natter, don't we, you and I? Um <laughs> mate do come back again and we'll do something similar or something completely different but always welcome rich always welcome lovely to speak to you thank you very much for having me mate no worries at all we'll be back next week i don't know what's happening next week i couldn't tell you chaps i couldn't actually tell you what we're going to be doing next week but it will be something fun so i hope uh like i say go to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and you can sign up for all of our exclusive content which is gonna be plentiful this week from gil scott heron to def leopard who saw that coming uh that's range guys that's range anyway nice one thanks very much everyone we'll see you next week bye